All right, I, we got to do a little bit of pre-roll, Joe. Okay. Because that the listeners already see this is like they're they're looking at their uh, at, at their podcast app, and it says two hours and whatever, and they're like, "Wow, they must have had this must have been jam packed. There must be some awesome guests. There must be yeah, maybe nope. maybe even two guests. <laughs> nope. There must be a lot going on." And um, so I, I feel like maybe this is a road because I'm not going to do a lot of show notes this week. I just don't, I, I can't do it. So, okay. uh, so I feel like um, we need to give a little disclaimer here and maybe a little, is it gazeter? A little, a little, a little guide, a little something to let them know what to expect. So like as often happens with our show, okay. the most substantively interesting, best stuff is, is toward the end. I think mm, even, even okay. it's a little bit wandering, Yeah, but for the first like 30, 40 minutes, we, we it's, it's, I, I hate saying nonsense because I had a fun time talking about yeah, it. Yeah. It's not nonsense. We talked about, well, I'm not going to spoil it, but you know, it's, <laughs> I guess I could spoil it. We, I think bears come up, right? We talk, There's we, some bears. We talk a lot about bears and things. And then we, what, what do we some talk about snakes? Next? What do we talk about next after that? I don't, I, I do not ask me to remember the sequence <laughs> of all this stuff. That's, that's, that is alarmingly inappropriate. Uh, it's wait, a rich oh, conversation. It's just the two of us. There, there, there is, is no guest. There is a, there's a period in the middle after that where we're kind of like, we don't, we're hesitating. We don't know quite what to talk because we're like, we're both feeling the sense of, uh, of, of, um, omnipresent, like, you know, a little bit of depression. And, and we talk about this stifling heat of the summer yeah. and, and our current state of our democracy. And there's it's a like bit, a dread on we cocktail. I mean, it's like, yeah. a yeah. So it wanders a little bit. I can't quite get my words out, and it's like. But then we latch on to a few topics toward the end. Yeah. So there's a, there's definitely there's toward definitely, the end. I mean, it's like halfway the, through. There's some lost the, stuff in there. The Just last stick third. around for the lost. The stuff. last third. Yeah, we get closer to some lost stuff. We tee up some topics that we will explore at greater length in the future, but that we we I, I thought you had some great things to say, Joe. I'll just mm. say that. Mm. Um. So I guess on with the show. Surely. <laughs> All right. Hello. Hi, Joe. I feel like our podcast, at least episodes where you and I are the only ones here. Yeah. I think we may be violating settled law, uh, according to Judge John Hodgman. This is a serious charge. Indeed. I think there's a basic existential challenge here, especially given our name, oral argument. Yes. And I just want to read to you from the tablet of settled law which is conveniently located here at world headquarters it's posted um it's posted on on the east facing wall mm, the east facing rampart of indeed. the recording facility located within world headquarters and so i just want to read to you a particularly important uh fragment of settled law now i can't see this to me it looks like an eye chart in an optometrist office and i and i uh i commit to you okay in good faith to read accurately, okay. <laughs> uh, dispassionately, dispassionately, not to uh, change or that that also otherwise mislead you about the content of the tablet. That's fine. I do implore you to read passionately. Oh, but okay. however you would like to do it is fine. You you do you, Joe. Do not seek out disputes in life just to be on a podcast. Oh, <laughs> does it say that? It does. <laughs> And so we, I think, I think at a bare minimum, we need to reconsider our name, oral argument. Oh, it's too late for that. It is okay. Yeah. So we're going to use Starry Decisis. I've already made the 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 graphic, which I think is pretty good. It's a great graphic. It holds up. I love the graphic. You know, it was very careful about getting the font size. Uh, The fact that that, it's uh, the fact that it in in a way that we're we're flying right in the teeth of the spirit of subtle law by Judge John Hodgman causes me a, a degree of anxiety. 
Well, the only anxiety I him have, and his show as I do. <laughs> the, the only anxiety I have, I don't. It's not anxiety. Like we're we're not easy to find in a search engine, mm. right? Because oral argument law, you know, it's like you're going to come uh, yeah, up with yeah. oral argument stuff, right? So, right. you know, if we were like, um, uh, you know, lawheads, law bangers. Oh my! I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, law talkers. Um. We know, oh, I've got a great name for yeah. it. Aardvark Zizigy. Jeez. So that's like a word from the beginning of the dictionary and a word from the end of the dictionary. Um, I like it. So it's the aural equivalent of Amazon's logo, the A to Z logo. Mm, there you go. Yeah. Um, and and uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? So, yeah. Um, hmm. Should I read it to you again? Just no, so you no, the no, full, no, 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 no. The that's full, a- rich... Uh, statement? No, no. I think we can we can listen back if we need to. We can get a read back. Oh, okay. You don't yeah. want me to read it again? No, because the person wanna, over there transcribing everything. Well, you want to rewind? We can ask them to. We usually don't put them on air, but if we <laughs> needed to, if there is if there's ever a, a you know a, an existential dispute, yeah, we can turn the court to court reporter to exactly. just read it back. Right. Eh, not exactly a court. More of a podcast reporter. Okay. I mean, we'd like to be official about these. I things. think the, this is a podcast of record. This is weird. This is a certified, we can have certified transcription services from duly commissioned and notary public uh, and other transcription officials. Are you a notary? This is like. (laughs) I kind of lost it halfway through that. They still have notaries, don't they? That notaries still exist. I am not a notary. That would be kind of groovy, though, to become a notary. I wonder what I need to do for that. I'm sure there's a fee. You have to submit some kind. Do you have to submit some kind of statement of good character? Do you have to get references and everything? Maybe. I think I could do that. I think I could honestly. That would be the dodgiest part of your application. Hey, wait a minute. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why do we need notaries? But I'm, I want to, let's stay focused on the fact that you don't think I'm a good character. Oh, I didn't say that. I said this would be your 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 highest hurdle. That's all. Oh, okay. Oh, I would definitely recommend you for to be a notary, Joe. <laughs> okay. I I just can't speak for everybody else. I I don't know how what the application process is. I don't know what the standard of I don't I don't either. The standard the, the standard of proof or the standard of review. I don't know if there are multiple levels of appeals. If you're rejected as a notary, do you appeal to like the the notariate board? I would like our listener population to have the highest proportion of notaries public of any podcast so i hope that our (laughs) listeners all of them will go try to find out and if they can do so without disruption in their lives become notaries public Um, Hmm. that look maybe we have some who who want to vouch for the necessity of notaries in our in our lives and and if we have some notary public listeners then they could certainly send it oral argument podcast at gmail.com oral argument podcast at gmail.com send that in send that feedback in because my view is we could just get rid of notaries um I, but of course i'm someone who's irritated anytime there's a signature requirement because yeah. signatures don't do any good i can assure you that uh, as a matter of current the current state of affairs uh, there are still requirements for things to be notarized that still oh, happens I, I didn't i did i don't dispute that as a matter of positive and cultural practice. and therefore there are people who are able to act as an, a notary public for a person, other persons. And you know what we should do? Until that's all abolished, I want our listener base to be overflowing ah. a cornucopia of notaries public. This is like um, 
a, a radio program which wanted to have the highest proportion of buggy whip manufacturers. Sure. With, in the onslaught of the automobile age. I, <laughs> I, I, um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, I was irritated about signatures. Yes. And they don't do anything. They don't do anything. Um, notaries don't. Yeah. I, w- I forgot what I'm already, I'm already losing it, Joe. Mm. Let me have a little, another sip of coffee here. Yeah. Don't, you can't lose it. We just got started, man. Hmm. You watching any of that world cup? No. Okay. <laughs> Next topic. Yes. No, I think we should talk the, about the World Cup for a little bit. Okay. You tell tell everyone whatever you would like to tell them. I I really have no view or perspective to offer, having watched none of it. You know, it, it is somewhat fortuitous the United States did not qualify this time because okay. it, it relieved us of the kind of the national conversation over whether to boycott. Mm. Why would we boycott? Uh, well, by we, who do you mean by we? The, the United States. Would we, we? We are a U.S.-based podcast and and comply with all of the laws of the United States of America. Okay. And I'm not aware of any laws pertaining to the oh, requirement whole, that you watch the World Cup. No, well, I mean, no, I'm talking about the podcast laws. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I think it's um, 48 USC and ETSEC, as they say. ETSEQUELI. Yeah, well, I, 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 Latin I like to use the abreaves. Ah. I, I sling the brief match. Around. Yeah. Um, so I'm still on, I still don't understand what you don't know what the grounds would be for boycotting a tournament held in Russia. So what you're saying is if we had qualified, we, the United States would need to decide whether or not we were willing to have our team play in Russia. Right. After the attack on our election. And and the and the attempted murder of of um, people in Britain. Two rounds. It, well, there's a late. I don't know that they be, know. I don't know that they know for sure. Well, they certainly is, the means is the same. Right? The means so is the same. The, yeah. The, this this more recent attack was undertaken with Novichok, just as the first one was. The the attack on the Skripals. Yeah, it's very, it's very strange. I I don't I don't I don't, I don't know really any details about it. It doesn't look like these people were targeted. Um, so when the were the way. Sochi Olympics? Were they before 2016? I guess they were. Yeah. They were in 2016. Mm. And Russia was banned from those Olympics. Do you recall this? Russia was banned from the Olympics in Sochi? No, 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 no. I, no I'm thinking of the, the games this year. I'm sorry. So Sochi was, uh, were the Winter Olympics? No, 2014 were the Sochi Olympics, right? Ah, okay. That's, yeah. We're, you know, when I was a kid, it was every four years there were Olympics and they did them both. Right, Winter Olympics. And I remember that. Olympics. Yeah, and then they said we need we need to spread out the Olympics. We need to sp- so that there are Olympics more often because people right. maybe they get like too, they get too Olympic in a single year if there are two sets of games. Right. So and, yeah, so you've got every two years you've got either the summer or the Winter right. Olympics, and the the Sochi games were marked by um, <laughs> uh, just really. Did you read the story about the doping that the Russians engaged in in the Sochi games? I didn't. I re- I have to. I I just need to emphasize. We're not going to beat up on Russia. Do you want a general right? point? Yeah. Um, the whole. Uh, I really don't follow the sport. Like I don't. Uh, I don't really read about sports. I don't. I mean, I hear news about sports. I know the different sports that there are, but. And when, if I read a thing about sports, I'm likely to forget it very quickly. Yeah, but this is well. So do you, do you not watch the Olympics? 
Not really. The Olympics are fun. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, you know, I don't know if you know this. In, in sport, it's generally frowned upon to use uh, performance-enhancing drugs. That I know from our colleague Lisa Milet. Yeah. Who's written about who that. Who writes about this. Um, I, I don't think you would have to know Lisa to know that necessarily, that bare fact. Yeah, She's, you know, probably not. extensively about them. But so they're frowned upon and, in fact, banned. Mm-hmm. Um, and they take urine samples and, and probably other, I forget what all the other techniques they are that they use to, to measure these things. But certainly urine samples. And they so have this these is like, why, for example, uh, cyclists like Lance Armstrong have had their uh, uh, Tour de France uh, victories stripped from them. Right. Because, because of the influence of performance-enhancing drugs. Right. Retrospectively saying, you know, you didn't win. And, right. yeah. Uh, and uh, and there, is, there you see, I mean, there was a lot of testimony about who did what and how they evaded these things, right? So, so it's not just urine samples themselves. It's like all the evidence that's out there about well, what, sure. what you did. Um, I'm sure there were false positives. You'd want to rule that out. But in Sochi, the International Olympic Committee, and I don't know if there's a separate arm that does drug testing, of course, they had these, these supposedly tamper-proof vials to keep these samples in that had this certain kind of closure on the top. I don't have the article in front of me. It's it's been years since I read about this. But Mm -hmm. um, the Russians obtained one of these Mm. early on. And the, what's the equivalent of the KGB these days? Is it the FSB? FSB, I think, yeah. Um, Or whoever else. I don't know who did it. Maybe it's probably some private company, which is a spinoff of the blah, blah, blah. You know how this works, right? And so they got it. And they apparently worked on this for a long time. Mm. And then in the room where they stored these samples, they cut a hole in the wall. <laughs> and so after people were gone, they would hand these the, – the person working there – and I think it was the person who was working there, and I forget what his role was, testified that this is how things worked. He would hand the sample through the hole. Wow. And then – but didn't know who was back there, what was – he did, had no idea what was going on other than, you know, if you could guess. And then the sample would be returned with the seal still on it, Right. Well, turns out when they heard about this, you know, I I don't know if he blew the whistle or someone else did. They went and they looked at these samples and you, you, when you take off the, the seal, you could see these like, you know, micro etchings on the surface where they had found some way to get this thing off without leaving a mark on the, on the glassware or the sample thing. But in fact, it did leave a mark, which you could probably, I don't know, you probably don't need an electron microscope to see it, but you needed some kind of, Mm. you know, it was, it was very, very subtle. Right. And the result of all of this, and I, again, glossing over many details, the result of all of this was Russia was banned entirely um, from the recent games in South Korea. Oh. So this, this year's games in South Korea, I guess it was earlier this year. Yeah. And well, they their, their athletes that. were allowed to compete, but not under the, they were allowed to compete as independent Olympic athletes. So they couldn't, you know, no national anthem, no nothing. So it was very serious. Yeah, that does sound serious. I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure the Russian regime was very irritated yeah. about that, about having been caught. And now the World Cup is in Russia. Some of the games being played in Sochi. And is all of the World Cup being played in Russia? Yes. This year, all of it is being played in Russia. Yes. Yeah, in a few years, I think uh, the United States is going to host the World Cup in 2026. But a combination of the United States, Canada, and Mexico... Presuming it's still three separate countries. Yeah. Um, they, you know, so it'll be scattered all over, you know, they'll be in different venues and there'll be more teams. I think they're moving up to 48 teams instead of 32. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of teams. So there you go. That's, this is your um, sports corner. 
Nice. Sports Corner with Christian and Joe. You sound remarkably calm when you're talking about Sports Corner, especially because your beard is getting a little longer and a little scruffier. You're you're getting a, you're you're moving into sort of angry prophet territory oh. <laughs> with the with a longer beard. I f- I do feel like I'm like I feel a little bit like I'm talking like on the surface of things to avoid grappling with the crippling depression of the age. Yeah. Like um, if you unleash what's behind this wall. Yeah. And yeah, I'm actually, yeah. The and, millions of, of gallons, the, the millions of metric tons of whatever is going to come bursting mm-hmm. out. I'm, I'm glad that you specified metric to be more precise. Sure, sure. Nail it down a little bit. Yeah. You know, so our listeners are probably already frustrated. The casual listeners are frustrated. Again, we're just shaking them loose. This is like <laughs> shaking... <laughs> Shaking, shaking, shaking the shoes I love out it. in the morning. You, you take the wire brush to the to the <laughs> rusty grill. I yeah. love it. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about these people? I, I met these um, students out in Australia when um, when I was there for a conference and was was in town in Brisbane, which is a fantastic place. Uh, University of Queensland is terrific. I'd, I'd go back there on a heartbeat. It was really, you know, I learned a lot. And so I, ta- I was talking to some undergraduates that I met in in Brisbane who were one of whom was coming to the states. And did I mention this on a prior show? I don't know. Well, let's, you know, we can't worry about that. We've done how many episodes? 343 episodes by now, Joe? <laughs> about half that, actually. Yeah, yeah, about half that. Um, I think, uh, yeah, remarkably close to half that. And um, and this one student I, I met, she was really worried. She was coming to Texas, the University of Texas, to oh. study. And had some trepidation. And I think you know what it's about. I think you know what an Australian coming to study in Texas might be might be worried about. I don't. Maybe the precise style of barbecue sauce. No, of course she's worried about bears. Ah, mm-hmm. she's bears. You know, like yeah, yeah, bears in Texas. Are there she bears just, in Texas? There are bears in the United States. And, oh, sure. And I mean, so I'm coming to the United States, and I think I, I'm thinking, in the okay, United do I have a plan for what I'm going to do when I see a bear? Am I <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I hear these stories, like, what do I do? Now, of course, this is hilarious because Australia is well known for many, many things, large and small, that can kill you. Yeah. And, I mean, not least the roving packs of dingoes. Yeah. (laughs) But the thing is, you get over there, you don't worry about this stuff, right? Of course. Like, I mean, it's, you know, um, although unlike here, like, if you see a snake, you need to stay away from it. Because most snakes over there, I don't know about most, but but many, you know, if you get bitten by a snake, it's an emergency. Over there, yeah, over there. Here too, though, right? Yeah. I don't want to be. I don't want snake bites. Yeah, but I mean, almost almost no snakes are venomous. That's comparatively, comparatively, like if you see a snake out, it's almost certainly not. You know, here still in our want, neck of the woods, we got we got your copperheads. I do not want to go near a snake. I do not want a snake near me. Did I ever tell you the story about how last year I did, I walked into the front room of my house? There was a little snake in the house. This is a story within a story, by the way. So we'll, we'll break out again, but let's let's finish your story. Well, it was very strange, and it was uh, some. It was in my house. It was uh, sort of uh, writhing around on a part of my the inside of my front door. It was writhing? It was uh, moving. It was traveling. Okay. so uh, it, And it was up above the floor because mm-hmm. it had managed to sort of, mm-hmm. you know how they project themselves with their musculature movement things. And right. It had, it had sort of worked its way up mm-hmm. on this thing that's hanging uh, like a, uh, uh, a shade sort of thing that hangs on the inside of my uh, front door. 
Uh, I don't know how it got in the house. I know I did not want it in the house. I knew that I would have to remove it if it was going to go outside. <laughs> so I grabbed a hat that was near, that was on my hat rack, uh, my coat rack and hat yeah. rack near the front door. Yeah, this is a well-known, you know, ersatz snake handler yeah. tool. Yeah, absolutely. So I grabbed my hat, a hat, and a canvas hat, and I held it upside down in my with one hand, and I put the snake in it with my other hand. Oh, so and, this is a very small snake. And held it. Well, you know, it was. I think it was the width of a sharpie marker, maybe. <laughs> um, Are you sure it wasn't a worm? The diameter. It's not a worm. Okay. And uh, I don't. It was maybe, maybe two feet long. And maybe and the like. You the were certain it was not sharpie. You were certain it was not venomous. I was not certain. What I was certain of is I wanted it out of my goddamn house. No. <laughs> so. I went and grabbed it and put it in the hat and then went out into the yard and threw it out of my hat. <laughs> That's okay. So, so listeners do not try this at home. Uh, if you have a, a serpent of some kind in your house and you aren't sure whether it's venomous, don't try to grab it and put it in a hat and throw it out. Well, uh, it may have been imprudent and it may have been, it was definitely imprudent. It may have been rash. Yeah. Um, I, I did not want it. I, I did not want it in the house with me and my dogs. I, I do not want it in a house. I do not want it with, <laughs> with the mouse. Right. Right. And so it seemed to me this sort of brownish looking garden kind of snake that like I needed to simply remove it. Like the, I needed swiftly to remove it. Yeah. So I did. Yeah. I would encourage you if you have another unidentified snake in Another house, snake incursion? Yeah. I think you should identify the snake first before you do that. And yeah. if it is non-venomous, yeah, go ahead, throw it out, whatever. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but if but if it's venomous, don't do that. Don't touch a venomous snake. I, I agree with you in principle. <laughs> no, I mean I do not, not want to touch a venomous snake. Yeah, hmm? uh, not just in principle. I think you should just agree. Uh, I think you should just agree. I do agree. Okay, on a going forward basis, <laughs> and even and even then in principle, um, I thought it's I thought it's it's funny how we'd have to look at some sort of diagram to see how deeply wrong my thinking is on all this. But I sort of like. Its presence was of more concern to me than anything else about it. Yeah, well, this just shows, I think, this just shows how in the United States, I think there were, you know, in the back of your mind, probably, like, the snake was icky, you wanted it gone, but you weren't necessarily in fear for your life. Like, you, I, in Australia, you would never do that if you're not a, I mean, you might. but You you'd would be never a, touch you, it. You'd be an idiot. Yeah, you wouldn't touch it. Because just too many of them are venomous. Yeah, I mean, you know, and a very common venomous snake is the eastern brown snake in, in uh, eastern Australia, which mm. is... I forget if it's like the most venomous in the world. I think like drop for drop, it's the most venomous. Whoa. Uh, so they, you know, it will, it's a medical emergency if you're bitten an immediate medical emergency. But, you know, very yeah. few people die over there because they, they have all the anti-venom and they care for, you know, it's just a, right. a thing that can happen. Um, and have it's, you and seen it's rare, amazing, very rare. Like it makes the news when people are bitten. There's a great thing. YouTube video for people who are interested in, uh, who are visual learners. Um, there's now, a great YouTube video. Every, learning style stuff doesn't, isn't true. But go ahead. For anyone who wants to watch a YouTube video, there's a great YouTube video that there used to be about um, putting some snake venom in a sample of blood, mm. and and the blood basically instantly turns to pudding. Oh, this is yeah for um, for that that kind of venom. What? what oh, it's been a long time since I've looked at this stuff. Like rattle American rattlesnakes. Maybe that was it. Have yeah. this kind of it's a um, uh, like hemotoxic versus neurotoxic, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that was like, wow, don't get bitten by that snake. 
Uh, okay. Because it looks like it would hurt if it were inside your body. Yeah. Well, so in Australia, they actually have snake catchers, right? This is a profession. Oh, so people yeah. who go out and So try if to you limit... saw that, you would immediately leave the house or like... the area, oh, okay. call the snake catcher. And then I've left my dogs in the house with the f***ing snake. <sighs> now I have to edit out two things in this show. Okay. <sighs> um, <sighs> um, I'm not going to do that. Oh, well, you would in Australia. I guess. So, to back to my story, can I can I get back? Okay, to my so story? we got to go. We've incepted here, so we've got to yes. go out. Like we've got to go back out two levels because it was YouTube video inside of Snake in the House inside of a uh, student in Australia coming to Texas and who is terrified, which seems very odd. Yeah, she's worried. She's worried. Worried about bears. About bears, and I and I uh, just have to. I mean, the first thing to do if you see a bear in the United States is look around and ask yourself how it is you got to the town dump, because in all likelihood that is where you are. No, that's not the case. <laughs> I think most people who have seen a bear have seen it near a landfill. Oh, I bet not. Not these days. I bet that used to be true. Certainly in the Northeast. Especially in the 60s and 70s, but not anymore. No. I think most people have seen them either in the wild. It certainly it put zoo out of it. Let's okay. get yeah, zoo out no, of there. Yeah, 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 zoo is obviously totally Probably in the wild on, on the side of the road, um, something like that. But you know, bear, black bears are much more common. So, how did you uh, how did you address her concern? Well, for I expressed amazement that someone from Australia would be worried about the wildlife in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, no, it's, no, no one worries about the that stuff here, which is true. I've been there before, right? You know, I um, but I I tried to like I mean, this is maybe relevant to law. It shows how like you you don't see the stuff that you're swimming in, that kind of thing. Um, mm. uh, that I said, you know how in the morning, you know, when you wake up. And you're about to get dressed, and you get dressed and everything, and you shake out your shoes, as one does, before you put them on, right? She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, we don't do that in the United States. <laughs> Except in, in some parts of the world. Maybe, maybe in some parts of New Mexico, you would shake out your shoes to get a scorpion out or something like that. But generally, you don't, you don't do that. You just put on your shoes. Right. You don't worry. I mean, yeah, we have the brown recluse and some other, but like, you don't, generally, we don't worry about that. But that's just what you do as a matter of course there. Of course, if you're going to go, on, if you're going to go swimming on the beach in, uh, when, when would it be there? Um, January, I guess, height of summer. Um, yeah, of course you're going to wear a stinger suit. It's jelly. That's uh, stinger is uh, is Australian for jellyfish. Mm. Like you, you'd be an idiot just to wander out into the surf without any kind of protection. Mm. At least at certain beaches, you know, all the, be- you know, the several of the beaches that, that I went to had you know signs warning you of, oh, okay. of uh, to treat a jellyfish sting as a medical emergency because they have the kind of jellyfish that can where the venom can be a medical emergency. My word. And they have, uh, and, and and on those signs is a, a bottle containing some kind of vinegar solution Ooh. that you're supposed to dump on it like right away. So it's like they're ready. Like they're prepared. I like, like the, that. These are just the kinds of things you do. But like, are you going to worry? Like you're going to worry about like getting bitten well, by an Eastern Well, we're enough here? to do the preparations you need to do. Yeah, but then you don't think about it because exactly. the, the preparations are there. Yeah. Whereas like, like a bear, like you know, what if it comes at you? Anyway, well, this has been a great episode. Uh, I think full of practical wisdom and advice. Practical. I think if a advice. bear is running at you and you're not with someone you don't like very much, it's already too late. If you're with someone you don't like very much, you can hope that you run faster. So I made the mistake early in my hiking and climbing career of reading a book called Bear Attacks, Causes, and Avoidance. Oh, my. Which was rich in detail. It's so funny that they that they didn't put avoidance before causes. Well, like bear attacks, avoidance. 
Like, that's the book I think I'd go for. Well, I think, you know, I, I think in a scholarly manner, you might take account of bear attacks that have happened to try to say something about what might have caused those okay. and then to develop interventions to prevent those causes from occurring. So you're doing both the retrospective and the prospective. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. Okay. But, but the stories in this book are just horrendous. <laughs> I mean, just like, you know, there are people's accounts. Of, oh, uh, it stays with you. Sure. Here and I bears am. are very large and and very uh, I'm almost, strong. Almost 30 years later. And I remember certain passages from this book. But since then, I've done a lot of, you know, been out in the woods a lot, seen, yeah. seen a lot of bears, enjoy seeing bears. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, some things never quite leave you, Joe. Okay. Interesting. So uh, other than, is there any more on bears before we go to the next topic? No, I think our ursine corner is over. This was a, I think a, a not, it didn't run long enough as a gag on the Colbert Report, right? But the, you remember when oh, he used to do the about threat bears? Down? Yeah, bears. Mindless, godless killing machines. I love that he put godless in there. It just, to me, that's like Pete Colbert, right? To, yeah. And <laughs> number one, and he, he actually, he's got this attitude. Like, of course, everybody knows it's coming. Bears. Like, everybody's with me on this. Like, I don't need to, right. I don't even need to explain to you why this is so. Right. But then he would incorporate some, one of the latest bear stories. Usually not one, which is like, you know, heartrending, like mm. some people being killed. It's usually some bear, which has kind of come into town and broken into you know, broken into the old prospector shack and eaten, you know, all the winter provisions or something right. like that. And, uh, and there, the bear would make an appearance on the threat down another example of these atheistic monsters. <laughs> it was one of my favorite Colbert gags. Right. Hmm. Okay. Uh, what are we doing today? I don't know. What are we doing? We are today? now 28 minutes or so. Whatever in. we're doing, we better do it soon. I, we've been doing it. Okay. Um, so far, we've had at least maybe two things that I have to go back and bleep out. It's been a ruckus show. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not asking you to. For moving no, me I'm not to, ask to you such to be- an emotional <laughs> state that I, that I blurt out an expletive. Uh, well, I, I don't remember how we got onto this topic, but I did. It was about, you know, like if, you'd, you know, if we scratch past the surface, we would cry out in, in agony, like, yeah, the, well, like the, endless, the endless scream yeah. account on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and I, I find myself, so so as you know, Joe, we are in the Deep South. I think you would count this as the Deep South, right? I suppose. Would you have to go farther south? I think you might go a little bit, uh, a little bit west and a little bit south. So Alabama, Georgia border? I feel like we're Deep South. Yeah. We're in Athens, Georgia. I mean, I think Alabama and Mississippi are more Southern than Georgia is. But... If you were to draw a line between Atlanta and Charlotte, we are a third of the way, basically, I think from... Uh, traveling from Atlanta to Charlotte, mm-hmm. near the just south of the Appalachian Mountains, southwest, uh, southeast of the uh, terminus, southern terminus of the Appalachian Trail. You're a South Carolina native, in contrast to myself. Uh, uh, no, I'm not a native. Oh, I thought you were. I was born in Chicago. Oh, but I was only there for like six months. So I grew up uh, yeah, six to nine months, something like that, uh, in in South Carolina. So well, I'm happy to defer to your judgment that we're. I guess I'm in a southern some boy. portion of the South. Yeah. So I, I am not a, um, uh, of, you know, there, there are many things to like and dislike about every place. Mm-hmm. Um, this is true. I do not, experience. I do not like the weather in the South. <laughs> I just, I just don't. Yeah. Winters are, I, I think, m- more mild and enjoyable, uh, from the perspective of, uh, you know, snow and the inconveniences of snow and the, 
uh, some of the dangers of snow, frankly. Um, well, we are deprived of the beauty of snow. I'll agree with you. But, but there. yes, of course, uh, snow, like places, uh, has both uh, good and bad. Um, and I do think our winters are a little bit uh, milder and therefore less have less of the inconveniences of snow to the degree that you perceive them as inconveniences. Um, but yes, yeah, summers here are pretty hot and humid and gross. Yeah, I, I get depressed. I mean, I, I spent, um, I grew up in South Carolina. I'm here now. I spent my graduate school years in Texas uh, and before going to law school in California. And then we lived up in the Northeast for a while. So I've, I've spent a long time in the South and I, every summer I get depressed. I, I just is, it's probably the, 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 the equivalent of someone who uh, gets depressed with not enough light in the mm. winter months in the far north. Okay. I don't know. It just, like, uh, everything is just oppressive. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That it's, that it's got you down. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, it's hard to distinguish. Everything feels, hmm, I don't know. I mean, you can't really, um, people who say that they like the summer because they like going out to the beach or the pool or what have you. Yeah, those things are fine. Mm. But, like, I think people's revealed preferences are shown by what they, you know, it's not as though people turn their, the uh, thermostat in their houses to 90 with humidity, <laughs> right? When I it's, mean, right, when it's cool outside, they don't make their house like the outside in right. summer. So I would say that, that pretty much everybody dislikes the weather here in the summer. Yeah, but that, you could say the same thing about, you know, the cold in the winter. And I like cold winters, so, you know, I get it. I'm just kind of flapping my gums over here. I would rather be, I will say, I would, I would uh, uh, if we're talking about variations from the, from the perfection of, of 70 degrees, um, at least as I experience it, mm. um, I would rather be colder than hotter than that. Yeah, of course. You, you can always, you know, human beings as tool-making creatures... Are, are able to are, are able to protect themselves from the, from the cold to some extent, right? Right. So you can always make yourself warmer, but when you get hot, it's like you got to immerse yourself in a liquid, or or <laughs> now, just you have to change the environment. The uh, the the history of technology folk would tell us that uh, air conditioning, uh, the the widespread availability of air conditioning, it really transformed the South. Yeah. For 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 just this reason that it is you know. Um, it's a it's an important way people uh, make it uh, more tolerable uh, to be here and engaged in certain kinds of activities. Um, so economically, I think in terms of like economic growth and all that kind of stuff, I think air conditioning has played a huge role in the history of the American South. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What else are we going to do today, Joe? Uh, I, I, I couldn't begin uh, to say. It feels, I, I want the listeners to feel the sense of oppressive heat. Mm. I, th- I feel like our conversation feels like, it feels like the sun is beating down on us, Joe. Like really? Because we're in a fairly cool room right now. Yeah, but you just know. You, you know it's out there. Yeah, you know it's out there. Like, do you want to go for a run right now? Oh, that's right, you can't. You can't or you'll die. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, do we going to do any mailbag? I guess we could. Do you have a Do you have mailbag available? To no, us? I don't. Do you Do you have the mail? Um, I mean, I guess I can. I guess I could do that. I haven't really gotten ready to do that. Hmm. So, maybe we'll put off the mailbag. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I thought I. <laughs> I hadn't really thought to kind of prep that. Yeah. So we're gonna have to record some pre roll 
for people who really don't like this kind of show to let them know to skip over that first part. Okay. And for people who do love it, get ready because we've got – Yeah, you know, it's you, the ultimate. If in, you like the pointless, aimless Joe Christian conversation, yeah. boy, you were, this week we delivered in a big way. <laughs> we're, not, we're not even waiting for Godot. I mean we're just wandering aimlessly around mm. a little plot of sad turf. Great point, Joe. Great point. Okay. <laughs> uh, so what would you like to talk about? You know, before we started the show, we talked about how we should have a podcast because half the time we got these conversations that were, you know, where maybe we'd be at each other's throats or something, or at least you would be at mine usually. And you'd be, hey. and, and, and we thought this would, people would like to listen to this. Other people see, seem entertained by this kind of, punch, you know, like, right. you know, idea based Punch and Judy show going on over here. Well, it is interesting to think about the, uh, and I do, I think I mentioned this to you the other day. One thing that has been on my mind is we, you know, we have such great guests and we read great papers to, to talk with them about. And I, those conversations are extremely rewarding. I've always enjoyed them mm-hmm. tremendously. And, um, at the same time, the, the sort of the, the time in which we now find ourselves, uh, I feel increasingly, mm, like, hmm, the, <laughs> the, the kinds of conversations I want to have where I'm thinking, and part of this relates to the fact that I very much kind of, um, figure out what I think by talking about it with people. That's right. one reason why something like this is very uh, enjoyable to me and for me and right. helpful for me. Um, and you never quite, you know, I've been reading something else about this, but like you never quite know your thoughts. I mean, you you know your thoughts in a different way when you talk about them and certainly with someone else, you know, as they yeah. collide with someone else's thoughts. It really, um, this is... It's like it's like in math when it used to you think you'd have a proof and when you go to write it down, it turns out there's a gap. And you don't really see it until you kind of translate those thoughts into another medium. And this yeah. is just another way of doing that, right? So given that, um, there's there's that and then there's that with a microphone on. Yeah. Um, and the thing about a microphone, especially <laughs> one that's turned on uh, and a recording made therefrom and a posting of that recording on some publicly available uh, platform um, is there's a durability to the record, right? You, you're having an, ex- uh, for me, subjectively, I'm sitting here having an experience of trying to work things out in speech right. with a conversational partner, which is a reality in a moment. Um, and then the moment passes. The moment's gone, it leaves a trace, et cetera. Um, but when there's a recording, it's like, mm, then I can be made to sort of, you know, that can be held up and say, hey, look at this thing you said. This is who you are. This is what you think. And this is an even more, uh, a, a, an even more um, profound assertion, right? As you just said, this is who you are. Right. Um, you made this offhand. Com- what to you was an offhand comment. In other words, you're, you know, there's this there's this uh, um, a metadata of intention, which accompanies our words, which right. can only be guessed at by listeners, right? And usually guessed at correctly. I, you know, right. the, the casual format of our show, I think, hopefully encourages people to know that we're working things out in real time. Yeah. This is not. You know, we have no scripts. We well, have no. And you know, as, get, as should be perfectly obvious today. By the way, there's <laughs> not even an outline. Guessed at by by but by them, but also by me. Yeah, I mean, I don't right. know that. Uh, I, I'm not a 
terribly convinced we have, we as individuals have a whole lot more access to that part of ourselves than other people do. Um, just that's, as an aside. That's definitely, um, if we want to go into the self and everything, we can do that. I mean, but, re- I've been reading this Daniel Dennett book, which is great, by the way. But, mm, yeah. yeah, he's, he, um, my recollection of stuff of his in the past, that I've read in the past was, was quite, quite amazing. Um, so anyway, it's just a, you know, it's, it's a harder feeling these days. It's, I'm less, I'm actually less interested in having certain kinds of conversations in front of this contraption. That's interesting. Yeah. And so I've been, that's been on my mind because of course on a, on a somewhat regular basis, although not as regular as some other podcasts I listen to. Is it, um, yeah. Is it because you think that like so much is now at stake and, and the arguments about what's at stake are not at all subtle. Like there's no, like there's no exploration of one's mind, which is, you know, no, no deep exploration of one's, one's mind, which is important to, to kind of distinguish between the, the fork and the well, road. It's a mix of things. I mean, it's like the stakes are higher. Um, the, the, the basic building blocks of the, of the conversation seem more, seem, seem larger and more important. And, those two things put together make it actually more likely that I'm going to say something that an hour later I would think, well, that wasn't very smart. Oh, you think more likely? Yeah. I, right. Because my passions are running stronger. The so passions sort of are like, stronger. That's that, true. That, that means. But the issues are so stupid. Right. I mean, like, you know <laughs> well, what I mean? Some it's of like, them are, but of course some of them are. Well, I mean, they're, I mean they're, 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 they're weighty, but the, but the kind of the, you know, if, if you think of every issue, it's kind of like a little seesaw, right? And there's this fulcrum in the middle, right? And there are arguments on one side and arguments on the other. You know, most of the the issues that are occupying our emotional lives right now are just stupid because there's stupidity on the other side of the fulcrum, right? That, not, that's not to say, like, like, there are a whole bunch of decisions that just came down from the Supreme Court, right? Which are more in the traditional, like, battle of ideas. And there are sets of ideas which would kind of pull you toward thinking one side has the better end of the argument and a different set of ideas, background ideas, which pull you towards another. And that's more the traditional kind of, ex, you know, discussion where the stakes are still high, right? It's still about, yes. you know, wh- what is the fate of the poor? What are the, what's the fate of the vulnerable? You know, what is the implication of doing this in favor of that for the rule of law? What is yeah. the rule of law? All these things. Right? How, but, how do we synthesize the, the imperative uh, for uh, equal treatment under the law with the requirement for a freedom of conscience and religious liberty. Like right. how do we synthesize those two things? That, that, that's, that's very important. But do we build a border wall? Do we separate parents from children at the border seeking asylum? Do we keep Scott Pruitt in his position? I mean, this is just stupid, right? Yeah, this is we, just stupidity. Right. It's, it's, uh, the, those are weighty at, at one level. Some of the ones you just mentioned. Um, but yeah, the, the, <laughs> there are a number of them where the, where the arguments on the other side are bananas. Yeah. Like, and by that, I mean, literally a little pile of brown bananas. I mean, there's not anything there. Um, and so it's, so part of the feeling is it's just frustrating to have to be in this situation. It's frustrating to have to have a conversation where you actually make yourself push through the beginning of the sentence and toward the middle of the sentence and then toward the end of the sentence because it's all just like, blah. Yeah, there's a little bit of like futility. There's a little about, there's a little in my mind about like what, what is my own highest and best use in this situation, right? right? And uh, kind of the faith I had in in ideas is not what it once was. Mm. And, right. um, and that has to do with, you know, seeing people I otherwise respect take positions that 
I do not, right? And right. So it's frustrating, and and um, and and it, it definitely influences my desire to work certain things out uh, in conversation in a way that is more durable and public, mm. relative to you know more evanescent and private. We got this email from listener Nicholas, which is um, it's slightly it's I think a little bit on point here. Let me just read it and see what you think, because this is in defense of our continuing to do just you and me shows. Mm. Um, He says, as a relatively new listener, I'm going through the back catalog, as all true Argonauts should do. Mm, He put a little TM after Argonauts. Yeah, I I liked that, actually, the Argonaut. That is a, it's pretty good, right? Yeah, I mean, it's no firsties, but. Well, it's different. It's different. I don't know. And it's certainly much better than Oralist, which is, I think, something (laughs) I once suggested to my great shame. Oh, boy. Yeah, to your everlasting shame, To my To my profound chagrin. We should think about like a way to maybe we could do the something with the first. You, you know that I've I've been a um, a proponent of trying to start a feud with the first Mondays people. Mm-hmm. And you and, have been a proponent of that, um, but let's not pronounce it Argonauts. <laughs> let's pronounce it Argonauts. No, that's the whole point. Is you don't do that. I think the whole point is that you do. No, although no. you spell it. Look, if we've learned anything in these five years, God help us. Uh, if we've learned anything, it's that. For example, family names are spelled many ways and pronounced many different ways. So if the thing could be spelled argue not, but could be pronounced argonaut. No. I think that's great. But the whole the whole interesting thing about it is that it's pronounced argonaut. No, the interesting thing about it is that it is spelled argonaut. <sighs> but it's a show where there's no there's no writing. This Making is all, it even uh, more amusing. I, I hope people will weigh in on this one because this is, I think, could be, this could be the argument that ends the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's true of virtually because, anything. like having a great idea like calling our listeners argonauts. It is a fantastic and, idea. And, and, then, and, then, no and, then, and then pronouncing it Argonauts, thereby defeating the entire Listener Nicholas, interesting part of it. Like, I, I can't want, get past that. A glove has been uh, thrown. Uh, I do not want Listener Nicholas to misunderstand me to have suggested that, that that was not a fantastically awesome suggestion because it was. I believe it was. I believe we did, it is. I think we are disagreeing fundamentally about what – we both agree that it's awesome. We are disagreeing fundamentally about what is awesome about it. Mm, that's fair. Let me continue this email, can I? Please. Okay. Uh, I've written literally dozens of pages of emails about previous episodes and then generally thought better about sending them for content that is two to three years old. I would encourage listener Nicholas, especially, who knows, if, if he came up with Argonauts, what other gems are in there? That are... <laughs> Although I may combine some of them into a longer explainer about the things you got wrong about net neutrality discussions, even considering their age. He's got a little smiley face thing there. So that's... <laughs> Um, however, Christian asked a question. That's me, by the way. Yes, um, that's you. For new listeners. Um, and who am I kidding? <laughs> if you're a new listener, you haven't gotten to this point of the show, right? Yeah. Uh, you Christian, are the head argue-not. I don't... The, you are our Jason. Oh, okay. I don't know about that. But um, Christian asked a question at the beginning of this episode about what listeners felt like when they saw that there was no guest. I have to say that certainly when listening to back episodes... I, would so, I will sometimes skip episodes with guests to get to one with no guests. I love the freewheeling, stay on no track, take no content prisoners aspects of the guestless episodes. While it's true that guest episodes do wander, they are almost always much more well-bracketed as there is not only a topic in question, but what appears to be a desire to stay at least somewhat adjacent, reasonably so, one might argue. 
And I would say that this show is going <laughs> to, this particular episode is going <laughs> to, is yeah. not that. I mean, this is a weird one. This is, I think, let's just say this is a weird one, right, Joe? Yeah. It's okay. summer. It's, you know. Yeah. But, but we, you know, if you look, if you look at our back catalog, we had, epi- we had episodes centered around like Joe's favorite case, my favorite case around, um, writing, around, um, uh, word processors, uh, the U.S. News and World Report rankings. Like we would have topical shows like that that were just that that, that involved just Joe and me arguing about yeah. these things. Or, or whereas this them. one is more, you know, um, choking back primal screams. Okay, this is not to say <laughs> this is not to say that I dislike guest episodes, but merely to say that they present a number of unknown quantities: hmm. audio quality. True. Some like we. Yes, I can't, although we can't do, always work you it out. do a very good job uh, with the audio quality, which I think is is excellent. There, there are times when when I could certainly do more, and there are times when I can't do more. It just is what it is. But um, uh, discussion topic, conversational style, etc. That sometimes I'm simply too lazy to be up for, and will happily skip in those moments. For the known quantity of pure, blissful, philosophical musings of Joe and Christian, prefer- preferably by a fire with an adult beverage. Nice. Wow! 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 wow. Nice. Uh, all that being said, please continue to have guests as they expand the wealth of knowledge and depth of experience brought to bear on the content of the show. However, in those weeks when you have no guest, feel free to record a show regardless instead of leaving the Argonauts adrift without your mindful guidance in our pursuit of our own resplendent intellectual quilt. Mm. Mm. Mic drop. Listen, so yeah, he signs it Nick. So it's listener Nick. Um, has, boy, he's got a way with words. Absolutely. Um, so uh, thank you for that. Any thoughts, Joe? Any reactions? Well, when so when we're having conversations where we're genuinely trying to work through, I think it's I think it's um, this is running a little bit in parallel to what I said before, but it makes a somewhat different thing. So, like when we are genuinely engaged in conversation, as we are, where we're trying to work through something, I'm delighted to hear that he finds it as as delightful and edifying as I do because yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's the, it's, th- that is the very thing I've been thinking about lately. It's, yeah. So this, knowing this is not, that there were right. times when I would be having a conversation where it, where I can't do that. Now I think it would be insufferable to have a show about the show, right? I get to, to, about like, you know, what kind of show we should have? It's like no, listen, not 174 episodes or something. We don't, we don't need to do that. But you're, I think, you're talking about. So he's giving feedback on the show, and that's always useful, right? But he does touch on something which you are also talking about, which is not so much about the show itself. It is about how you feel about conversation these days, like how you feel about your purpose these days. And yes, and that is not you know it, it touches the show because there are a lot of things that you you know the show is one of the things that you do in your life. But yeah. this is, um. Yeah, a, a, a deeper, urgent question for all of us. Yes. And, um, you know, I found myself, like, looking over a bunch of immigration law outlines, trying to figure out, like, what can I learn about immigration law? Hmm, okay. And how can I help? Right. Uh, I mean, you... I mean, you know? <laughs> yep. It's like, you know, like you're, I'm just... I, I feel like I'm looking around for an oar. Looking around for what? For an oar. Mm. So you can start pulling. So you do something. Yeah. Do something. Um, Fair point. Yeah. So, yeah, this is, I think this is not one of those, uh, this is not, as I say, one of those shows that is of the kind of just you and me shows that I think listener Nick has enjoyed in the past. Although you might enjoy this one as well, but. 
because um, I, you know, I, I, I'll tell you when I was um, thinking about what we would talk about, I, there is maybe one other topic we could talk about, but it's like even just coming up with topics, it just feels um, that's Darcy, like coming up with a topic is a like, why would I artificially come up with a topic? Like every, you know? Hmm. Well, it wouldn't be art. I mean, it's not artificial. It's just a way to try to bring some focus to a moment and then you see where that takes you. Yes, I think that, right. And, and it's the kind of thing like, you know, this show, we've got some blue sky, we pick a topic, we talk about it, but it's hard to see that. It doesn't feel like blue sky these days. That's what that's, like picking a topic is an, is, is an act of kind of optimism, right? In the future of a conversation, in the future of possibilities. And and I don't feel that right now. Yeah. That, that's, that's my, yeah. I'm not saying we should end the show. Mm. Maybe we should end this episode, but I'm not saying we should end the show, but like... Um, I think that thought has crossed my mind. Um, that question has crossed my mind um, from time to time these days. It just in the same spirit of what you're saying. I mean, it's how can you not wonder it? Yeah, how can you not wonder all kinds of very basic? I'd be interested things. in hearing from our listeners about whether they also have wondered, like, am I doing the right thing? Is there something else I should be doing? Or mm. other people feeling this, um, right. as you put it, this, this frisson. Um, of of uncertainty, I guess it's a it it is a roiling uncertainty and yeah. One's own one direction. thing, um, one thing that I have been that's been on my mind. One more concrete, one well, it's not concrete. One more specific thing that's been on my mind about the law these days um, is, and and this in a way it's so stunningly obvious and such a cliche, but uh, whatever, I'll say it anyway. Um, you know, it's just a, the law is just a tool uh, for social behavior. Uh, and so the law isn't going to save us from ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and I think sometimes saying this, yeah. we, or, or I'll say sometimes I, sometimes people um, talk as if they have fallen into what I would in a more reflective moment call the mistaken belief <laughs> that law is a thing that can save us. Um, it isn't, uh, I think, um, it's a tool. And, um, and so if, if we want things to be better, they'll be better because we insist on it and do it and not a moment sooner. Yes, it's a tool and it's also a really important tool because it's a tool that allows us to channel what can be, um, otherwise some harmful and destructive impulses in, in, into non-harming, non-destructive ways. So I don't, I'm not trying to minimize its importance. I think it's critically important. Um, but it is, it's just, it's a thing we use. It's not a, it's not a thing that saves us and the using of it doesn't save us really either. Um, you know, you can stand around waiting for the law or some law person to come and do law. Um, well, okay. Um, I think there's this dream out there, and it's a neo-formalist type conception that that there is a there there can be, and therefore it should be con- and therefore it should be considered this way because uh, uh, a a neutral law without regard to pre-existing substance or even to a purposeful end, that if applied and adhered to will either lead to better results or is better for some other reason. 
Yeah, boy, do I not believe that. I think there was a time when I did, when I was very young. Well, and this typically manifests in, in arguments about, well, um, you know, if... Uh, I was thinking this after the travel ban, right? Like you can't have this, you can't have this law, you can't have this approach to law because what if some other president had this other issue occur, right? And, and, and due process has to mean the same thing in, in every case and due pro and, and, um, uh, if you approach, if you approach this issue in this way, in this case, you have to approach it in this way, in this other case, this, this basic idea of treat like cases alike from a judicial standpoint, right? Mm. Um, and that the substance should be, you know, filled in aside from certain constitutional, very limited constitutional substance should be filled in by legislatures. Um, and that the interpretations of that substance should be substance free, right? And the, you know, the, when the court interprets a statute, it should add no substance, right? Now, this is, I'm not sure anybody really believes this. I, I'm not suggesting that this is a worked out theory because even mm-hmm. originalists believe in like we've said, you know, construction zones, right? That right, there are places right. where, where, where there is work, there's substantive work for judges to do. But, but I do think it's a background attitude that people have that, that, that what makes a judicial act in particular legitimate, right? Is its refusal to add substance to some point of law, which has a, uh, a, 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 a lot, which is only a kind of a logical addition to some principle which has a provenance, right? A provenance in some accountable branch. You know, this is con- connection to Scalia's theory, right? That um, yeah. that the purpose of judges is basically to um, to channel uh, legislative whims in order to create accountability. He's got a worked out normative theory for why you would want this in a democracy, but um, but I just don't think this this is like. I, I don't see any evidence for this, right? I don't see any evidence for the fact that we that you can actually have a um, a set of neutral principles um, that uh, without regard to substance that will work for all cases, maybe for many cases. So I give, and and part of it growing up in the eighties and nineties and two thousand and look, there was a lot of bad stuff that went down in the eighties, nineties, and two thousands, right? But um, but it, it was the case, and so I will. You know, there are people arguing that Trump is not outside of the range of normal presidents on both sides, right? Either that that, that prior presidents have been just as bad or that, in fact, um, Trump isn't so bad. I, I kind of reject both of those. But I think in our adult lifetimes, we've been lulled into this idea that kind of neutral applications of principles can work, right? That, that you're dealing with people who are responsive to, you know, legal incentives, Right. And I just don't think that's... Um, that I'm not, last bit, I, that last bit yeah. didn't sound like the same idea to me. Okay. Legal incentives. I, the neutrality point, I think I understood. I, didn't, I don't think I understood the very last way you phrased it. Well, I mean, law and the doing of law is just the saying of things, right? And people respond to the sayings and writings, right? I mean, all law is like ordered from the bench or it's written down and it's judges interpreting statutes and other people hear those things, right? This is the Robert Cover point, right? That... Everything occurs within a, you know, it's all about communications and those communications are taken up and acted upon, right? Right, but that's, right, and that's not, that's not, uh, so for me, that that is, does not describe a situation of, quote, neutrality. Uh, If by that one is trying to invoke some sort of view from nowhere. No, what, what I mean is that if you assume that the people occupying those positions who are subject to those communications are basically alike, like they, they believe different things, but they are kind of enculturated into the same attitudes toward the receipt of information. So if I'm a, you know, I may be a jailer in a particular jail, 
who is very different from, in upbringing from the person who came before me, right? Mm-hmm. But but what we are not different in is how we, you know, how we treat um, orders to release prisoners from habeas or whatever whatever kind of orders come down from from okay. courts, right? I mean, we are kind of enculturated into the authoritative nature of of judicial communications, and you know, I, so I guess what I'm saying is that. Uh, not every occupant of every position in the government is necessarily going to be so enculturated. I mean, people have these differences. And so, you know, this is a long way of saying that what works for many presidents may not work for Trump. One can, you can also be, uh, you can also think about that enculturation as being enculturation of, of, about a view of law that isn't the view from nowhere, that, new, that, that neutrality thing that you were referring to before, uh, if that's what you were referring to before, what I'm thinking of as a view from nowhere, um, which I don't think I- exists. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't so either. You, you know, you can, you can create a, we can say, our minds are famously flexible, so you can say winged horse, you can, you know, say a thing and it doesn't make it real. Um, so you can talk about a kind of neutrality um, you can put words to, uh, to, uh, um, you can describe a concept, uh, that doesn't really have a real world referent in terms of people's everyday behavior and try to enculturate people around that concept, which sounds like maybe part of what you're describing is, is, is at least for some folks, some of what's been happening. Yeah. Do I have that right? I guess I, I, it, um, I, I, to me, it's like more revealing. I say I don't. Want, I'm. I don't want to uh, come off the wrong way because I. I think that Trump is more revealing of the defects of the system than he is like a challenge to it. I mean, so. Um, so what th- system? Th- th- there what has system been. There has been. No, there has been no view from nowhere, as you have said, right? That there is law right. has always been purposeful. It's always been used in a certain way. Legal uh, dis- the right. bounds of legal disagreement and legal decorum for me, have for long been about perpetuation of social status mm-hmm. and, um, you know, a civil agreement to disagree over something that hurts the vulnerable has, a, you know, has a certain directionality to right. it, right? You bet. And the openness and, and, and substantive effect of law and legal discourse are clearer now. Like, I don't know, maybe it's crystallized. You know, maybe it's done some work to crystallize the the power i'm going to say the power of law but the 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 power of law's openness i don't know this is why i don't want to talk about it today <laughs> okay i'm just really like you know the 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 uh, point that i was trying to make at the very beginning of this exchange was that i've heard a lot in the last year and i think i've even thought from time to time some version myself of the notion that um there that law and the legal system can sort of set things right in a way um in some really important way uh for some of what's happening that i think is deeply troubling i myself think is deeply troubling other people might not i don't know but i do um and I think that's asking too, in some way, that's asking too much. 
of the law. It's not asking too much of us as people, but it's asking too much of the law as a, as a thing that is, after all, just a reflection of us as people. So the, the bedrock of it is us. Um, and if, and if, it's, good yeah. to, it's good to use, um, it's good to use the, uh, the facets of law that allow us to do things in a more um, peaceful and durable way that is more conducive to um, ultimately to cooperative ends. Well, so to the extent that that the law is 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 um, like <laughs> how how could it ever serve serve that purpose of saving us, as you put it, if it is an empty vessel, if it is a set of neutral principles, and the and it is possible to game those principles, right? So, someone who has a, a very substance driven agenda can manipulate those principles. Like that's a a key problem. Like, you know, if the, if we don't pay attention to motivation of the president, right. Um, right. and it has to be neutral with respect to motivations and it has to be objective, well, then, you know, then what, what is there really there that is saving us from, um, right. from bigoted actualities, right? In the world? Yeah. So, so I, uh, so I think it's not, uh, it, it isn't neutral. There isn't a view from nowhere. I don't think it's empty. I think it's full of us. And so when we're looking at it and it's not doing what we want it to do, or it's not bringing about the results we want it to bring about, that's because at some level, in some way, um, not enough of us want it to do that. Well, if, Or not enough yeah. of the right of us, for the right subset of us, people who are empowered to do certain things or take certain steps or have certain means at their disposal or whatever it might be, um, uh, so there's an important sense in which law is a substitute for war at, yes, at a small and large scale. And, and I think that is <laughs> critically important, extremely useful, and it's very uh, it's imperative that it continue to be able to play that role and in my mind. It is a process that delivers a, an outcome without fighting that is successful if people accept it and unsuccessful if they fight after, right. after the outcome is delivered, right? Right. And, um, and, and so one school of thought is that 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 process, its ground rules have to be open, completely open, so it doesn't prejudge the sides of a dispute, right? Because if it is going to be an acceptable substitute for war, each side has to feel like it could possibly win, right? That it has the tools available to win. And but many of us are not willing to live with that set of possibilities. Well, I agree that it has to be uh, open within its own... It has to be open uh, to everything other than the possibility conditions that permit it to exist, right? So, um, you know, this in a way, this is a version of the sort of, you know, does uh, do does a liberal democracy need to be open to the notion of uh, of a fascist dictator? And to me, the answer is no, <laughs> because. The, the possibility conditions for a liberal democracy are thoroughly inconsistent with um, the existence of and governance of a fascist dictator. So an open society isn't open to the destruction of an open society, right? It's, it, that is the negation of it. 
So I agree with you that law has to be open to everything other than things that utterly negate it. Yeah, logic's not going to get you all the way there because, you know, if, if the thing that you do to prevent the welcoming by the people of a fascist dictator is to rule out that result, then you've essentially dictated to the people that they can't do this. And I, I get that that's a logical, that there's a logical issue there. However, um, and that is this, not, just just to inter, yeah. just to uh, interject the, the the that is um that is the work I think being done by the word liberal in the phrase liberal democracy mm-hmm. that that it's it it's um uh it, it's a it, it's not in a pure democracy to say this is a thing that the that the people can't this is an outcome that people cannot select um, sounds inconsistent with democracy and indeed it is. Um, I suppose, uh, but it's not inconsistent with liberal democracy, which is to say a, a, f- a frame within which uh, generally people can accomplish what they want, but there's a concern about certain things being put off limits uh, precisely because we think it's what makes that project a, a, a sort of long-term project to which everyone will more freely commit, knowing they're safe from certain yeah, uh, I mean, right. right. I mean, these are kind of you can. So it's not logic. It's it's, a it's definitions. Of, it, it's a, hmm? it's definitions. And, and, a, it's and, words. and definitions that are there to enshrine a set of values and commitments. That, well, that's what that's what I was going to say because I think that the, the ultimately, uh, you know, there's there's nothing you can write down in advance to guarantee that a people will not fail. Yes, this people, is right? this is my very original point. Yeah, right, right. Um, so, so because it's not about writing something; it's about being and doing things. Right. And, and you can and nudge we're either going to be right. and do failure right. or not. We're going to be and do success or something in between. I mean, you right. can establish courts where the courts, uh, the judges have life tenure and and other things in order to try to create institutions that will hold the line against the worst. Right? You can even create institutions if you are so, uh, if you are enlightened, that will stand up for the vulnerable, that which will remind the people of their obligations to the least well off. Right? Mm-hmm. Which will. Um, be resistant to kind of the takeover by powerful interests. And like, these are things that you can do creation of institutions with certain incentives that will try to, uh, that will help us along the way of kind of being the people that we would like to be if we could really reflect on this. And we're not saying anything original here. There's a lot about reflective democracy and reflective deliberation and just distribution. But, um, you know, but I, I, I guess that's I'm trying to put my finger on what worries me the most when I see arguments about concrete cases like it, we'll, we'll do a Supreme Court roundup at some point, Joe. We'll talk about one case. I don't know which one it'll be. Yeah. Talk um, about one be, page. One, one case. Probably. Um, we actually but, are. We do have an episode coming up where we're talking about an important Supreme Court. case. But when I hear arguments about um, that's true. Um that 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 act as though there is some right or wrong answer to the to the law, and it doesn't deter, it doesn't really turn on values. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm a positivist, right? But 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 not in the sense that I think that law is 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 neutral and has no like there's no moral point to to law. Like the, there is. That's the reason. Like the 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 reason that I might be motivated to adhere to a certain rule of recognition, right? Is because I think it's better. 
right? I, right. It's, it's the reason I, I joined a group or, or the reason I would become a revolutionary is because I do not think the group is worthy of loyalty. You know, yeah, so, so the, that's... And, yeah. I, and I've heard in my own, like, just in terms of my own development and thinking I mean, in all of this over the years and thinking about, like, you know, I don't, I'm uh, maybe someone who's collecting my remarks and, and canvassing them will, would, would find out this isn't true. But yeah, my, the Joe I, Wiki. It's all on the Joe Wiki. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that I say right and wrong anymore about cases. I, I, I think I tend to say prudent or imprudent or wise or unwise. Like it, like, I think there are two things that, that I think are important about them, about significant decisions or even, uh, you know, more run of the mill mind run of cases decisions, um, is this sort of goodness of fit with all the pre-existing legal materials? Like how well does it weave into everything mm-hmm. that's already there? You've gone full to work and it's what you're about to say. <laughs> um, that's one issue. And then another issue is, you know, is, is that, is the thing it's bringing about to holding its level of, of holding its goodness of fit constant, um, is the thing it's bringing about a good idea or not? Like a socially good idea or not? And I think we're, we're trying to set up things where we don't have to worry about the second question so much. Yeah. Uh, that's more of the re- the wholesale question, and we're more focused on the retail question of like, how well does this decision fit in with the existing body of decisions? Um, especially given that now, as I do this stuff on on citation networks, and I just spend a ton of my time, you know, looking at them and working on them and thinking about them. Um, <sighs> and I really do think you can see this. It really is the case if you really j- just reflect on uh these uh uh apex court decisions um you you really can reach any outcome the difference isn't whether you get somewhere it's how you explain it yeah. the difference is all in the justifications and some justifications are seem quite robust and quite well explained and quite beautifully and and snugly woven in with the pre-existing body of legal material and some don't at all feel that way. Um, and that's, and law as a craft, right? Law as a practice for people who are, who engage in, in that practice, um, you know, law as a set of, um, the substance of law as a set of customs among people who, undertake to do this profession for a long time um you can see it <laughs> i mean it shows right on the face of the materials um so it's to me it's much more that than it is right or wrong I, that I, you know it just i don't it doesn't strike me that way at all anymore I, again i think there was a time when it did but i um it hasn't i think for a while I'm wondering, there's so many things you could say about this. We could go into determinacy. We could go into the different senses of right and wrong that one might have. Um, Yeah, you know, I've written a paper about right and wrong in law and how it relates to what we're doing when we do law. And I probably sometimes do say cases are wrong, but I think I have a, not in the same way that I would say that a certain you know, mathematical proof is right or wrong. 
Um, it's funny that I was just thinking he, the, when you said right or wrong, I was thinking math, yeah, right? But, like but there's even, a contrast. Yeah, but it's not right. math. But even, even there, like, you know, what's, <laughs> what's understood when we say right and wrong in, in math, right, is that it's like conditional on all of the assumptions, right? Conditional on sure. lots and lots of things, which is the case in law as well, right? But it's not saying, it's not adding, so, so saying two and two are five, um, for a set of assumptions about, uh, you know, how people use words and how people count. Um, saying two and two are five is wrong in a way that I feel comfortable just saying the word wrong. Yeah, but this is the whole point of my paper, right? It's, it's, it's comfortable. You feel comfortable saying it because you, because of your certainty about the overlapping of our assumptions. Like it's not, yes, it's not worth talking about like the, the possibility that someone may have a different, um, a different set theory, which underlies the two plus two equals five, right? right. Or, or just different labels, but it, but it could be substantive, right? It could be two plus two is five because of a particular notion of set theory that you started with. And, and it can you, be very exhilarating to do, for example, if you, if you know the basic Euclidean geometry and then you experience something like Lobachevsky, um, which in a way turn you, you can describe as, um, you know, geometry on the surface of a sphere, um, and trying to work through the Euclidean concepts in that right. new context, it can be exhilarating. And the connection, like, oh my God, can, you yeah. can, you can just, th- you can overturn all these assumptions and start with a different set of assumptions and get some, uh, results that, that are very counterintuitive from the prior point of view, but in the now current point of view are equally elegant and interesting and fun. You just, you start with different purposes because you have a different project, you have a different purpose. And so, too, when we disagree about the travel ban, if someone says, I think it was the Supreme Court decided that case wrongly, and some people say, I'd, you know, although, you know, I, I think they decided it rightly, some people may say, I, I don't know why they would say that, but they might. Um, <laughs> what we're really signaling, I think, is that it, it is not is not that there is some, you know, corpus of presu- uh, presumptions that, that um, we, we disagree as to their logical conclusion. This is you know, I a huge point here. I mean, Holmes criticized law is logic, you know, years and years and years ago. Um, but it, what we're really referring to is that there is some, there's some body of, of, of assumptions and, and, um, that, and premises that we're disagreeing about, which we try to make clear over the course of the opinion, like what's causing me to say that this opinion is, uh, that this travel ban is unconstitutional and causing you to say that it's con- constitutional. You know, one of the reasons we spend 50 or 80 pages on this instead of, you know, just a few is that, we're trying to describe a th- every case involves kind of a theory of that underlying corpus, right? Mm. And 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 these opinions are efforts to kind of expound those theories, right? Expound yeah. those the, the reasons one draws. And sometimes we go up, as I described in that paper, like level one, level two, level three, level four. Sometimes yeah. we go all the way up to expounding like, you know, what are the reasons that we interpret the Constitution in this way? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's just a matter of like making arguments about cases or arguments about, you know, the meaning of words and, and, but, but still even there, like, you know, it's the reason I interpret the statute this way and you interpret it that way. Um, well, well, there's a reason to it, right? It's, it's rarely that one of us has made a true mistake that we completely agree on premises and yet we're coming to different conclusions. I guess that could happen. Um, you know, we could have, you know, there could be two judges who are, who are somehow involved in sentencing and they look over at the jury box and one of them sees, thinks the jury has voted to in favor of guilty and the other in favor of acquittal and they just disagree about the number of hands that are raised. I don't know. It's possible, right, that there could be that kind of – but even that, like, um, 
disagreement at the level of phenomenology is like there's a certain like still there's some a, there's some um, some basic philosophical um, uh, a problem there with assuming that there's a right and wrong right it's about a set of assumptions that are not overlapping right that that are not uh, uh, that are not totally overlapping I should say that are leading people so every time we talk about disagreement like there's this thing which is an unsaid almost all the time which has led us to this disagreement and conversation. This brings us back to the point of conversation, right? Conversation is in part trying to get all that in sync, right? Which is like war doesn't do that. Right. Like war is like, I think I should have this territory. You think you should have that territory or like in ancient days, like I think this person should be married to me. And you think, I think it should be, they should be married to me or like, or this light, that's light, whatever it is. And so therefore we're going to send a bunch of other people, not us, of course, people with guns to go kill each other. Right. Right. And it's all very zero sum. It's all very zero sum. Um, but a conversation, right, it, I think is in part about trying to get some of those assumptions in sync to see how it's, it's, a, it's an act of optimism mm-hmm. that if we talk enough, maybe, maybe that those things, those things that we're not saying, um, that we hadn't said, that we didn't know to say, will surface and I will suddenly see the world in a different way. That's the Anything. delight in reading, that's the delight in reading literature. It's a delight in reading philosophy, even the great legal opinions, right? That you that and you see things in a way that you hadn't seen before through someone else's eyes. Yes. Um, the um, and the perception of uh, again using the recent the end of term cases as illustrations. Um, you know, the perception of uh, hypocrisy or a bad faith on the part of a jurist um, can be uh, an opportunity to try to dig deeper and find out what is the broader sort of fabric according to which you, who've said both of these things, in fairly close proximity to each other, which to me sound like contradictions of each other to you. uh, Let's, let's start with the assumption. Don't sound that way (laughs) because most of us don't go around just sort of nakedly contradicting ourselves. Um, And people who do get sort of decried and derided as, you know, fools or, or knaves. Not these days they get cabinet positions. Well, right. Or press secretary. Um, but, you know, putting aside that where the motivation for that person to engage in this sort of uh, ridiculously florid self-contradiction and hypocrisy is very plain. Um, uh, if if your job is to judge as well as you can and explain as well as you can what you've judged, then for there to be things that seem like blatant contradictions is very odd, right? Mm-hmm. And you can... It, you can take that as an opportunity, um, and this is a sense in which the cases are ne- are never really done, and the conversation's never really done, and you don't really know fully what a case is until the next one comes along, and you have an opportunity to talk about them again. Um, it's a you can take it as an opportunity to say, okay, what is the broader context in which these things aren't contradictions? Yeah. Because for you, as the author of them, if you're anything like me, <laughs> if someone said to me, Joe, 
you said this last week, and to this week you're saying this, and they sound completely contradictory, right? I, if you ask me, I might say, oh, no, they're not contradictory at all. Here's the thing, here's the third thing that, um, that puts them in a context where it makes sense to say this and then that, right? So I'd have an opportunity to tell you that. This is why, yes, I mean, I think making democracy and the rule of law work is, is an exercise in appreciating the complexity of your group complexity of human nature within your group and the bigger the group the bigger the challenge yes here, right uh it, it reminds me actually um it, it's as if so i'll go back to mathematics right and, and there are there are you know mathematical you know you learn a set of techniques you learn how to do proofs and you get to be pretty good at it and a pretty, you know mastering a certain set of techniques and a new problem comes along and you try to prove it using your technique and maybe it doesn't work maybe it doesn't and and there's some other proof out there and you start to look at it and your head just goes, oh my God, like it looks, it, it looks messy or it doesn't like you, you haven't, you haven't really grokked the, what it is that makes it easier. Like how the other person saw this as a natural way to solve the problem. Like, mm. you know, in, until you can get in their head and see the examples that are motivating them and, and understand this, like that's learning. Like that's why it's hard to learn new things. Like you got to <laughs> learn, you know, like a complicated proof. You got to, okay, I got to figure out this result. I've got to jump up a level of abstraction and see the thing I thought I knew in a new way. And that's work. Yeah. But like in math, it's obvious that if you're going to get better, you got to do that. Right. Right. The, the thing in law is that if you don't want to do that work, there's always an argument that you can grab onto. Right. I mean, if, if you are, if you're set in your ways, there's always an argument. And there's, there's always an opinion out there that you could grab onto as the right one that doesn't require you to do the hard work of mm. mastering a new viewpoint, of mastering a new set of understandings. Because um, that's hard, right? It's much, and it just feels like a, it feels like a, like, like a... Um, well, it's effortful. It's effortful. Unlike, you know, when you, when you read an opinion that agrees with all of your priors, it feels like a, like you're a string, which is vibrating in resonance. Like it's, it's effortless. Like you didn't have to pluck anything, right? Just, right. it's fine. Someone else is vibrating that string for you, right? Where, um, but learning new things is, is, is hard. Um, and one of the new things you can be learning in this conversation that is called, you know, decisional law at any rate, um, is boy, what would it be like to be the mind that would say this? Yeah. Because I wouldn't have said that. Right. Um, I would have said <laughs> what that other person is saying a few pages later. <laughs> right. Um, and and getting your, getting your mind to around that um, is, uh, it's, uh, it's worth doing. Um, but it's really hard. And, and but it, it takes a lot of effort. It, it takes a lot of effort and, and, and maybe none of us is really truly capable of it fully, right? Which is why so much of democracy and litigation is like a substitute for war, right? We're just kind of going to clash against each other. And um, I, 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 I reject this a little bit because I, I do, I feel like as a people right now, we're failing in, in many ways. Mm. And part of that is, is having lost a sense of purpose and decency, not decency in the small sense of like we should be civil to one another, not that at all, right? But the the sense of joint family, mm. um, and well, I hmm. there there's so many things that we yeah oh, you were gonna say something. It's all right. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, it's not important. It's very important. It's critical. <laughs> it's really not important. It's critical. <laughs> 
I, I, the whole conversation we're having in some ways is like contradictory because it's, it appears like we're not talking about any, you know, it's neutral, right? Like at a meta layer, it's neutral. And, and I, I suppose, <laughs> uh, but there are issues that are on their mind because we're living beings now here. Right. Which I mean, isn't neutral at all. It's a specific place in time. And a lot of my own personal motivation for thinking about these things hard is like, not, not only are we not getting, not only are we getting the easy stuff wrong, like the stupid things that we're doing, the, the really stupid things that we're doing, right? right. Um, but also we're not trying, there's so many things we could be doing to try to improve people's lives in, in, in obvious ways, which might be hard to accomplish, right? Um, as obvious ways, but hard to accomplish. Things like, you know, uh, you know, Medicare for all, like that's going to take some figuring out how to make that work. And, you know, and you know, you're not going to get around the central tragedy that there's just not an infinite amount of healthcare to go around to everybody. So that's a hard problem. Like that allocation problem is ultimately going to be a somewhat hard problem. Yeah. But what's not hard is, is we, we should adopt a system like that, right? That we need to figure (laughs) out how to do that. That's not difficult as in, um, once you, truly take the point of view that no person is necessarily more important than any other person and that the suffering of others is something to take a personal account of. Yeah. So to a universal Especially basic income we, or something when we socially have the means to do so. I mean, it's, um, right. But even if we don't, then how do you, how do you allocate? And yeah, it's, of course. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're saying it's this, when you're saying it's not a hard question, one of the reasons it's not hard is because the, there is a m- plenty of aggregate social wealth to devote to those purposes. Well, at least some. I mean, you know, there's uh, the nature of healthcare is such that there's always plenty of aggregate social wealth to provide healthcare for some value of wealth. Right, no, and, and some you said there would be hard. Yeah. There would, of course, be hard allocation questions um, beyond the everybody having a minimum modicum of care. Right. And it, it and so you'd be making hard trade-offs about well, if this very new and exotic treatment for this quite unusual disease for people who are at or near the end of their lives it presents a set of trade-offs yeah. relative to this very certain fairly low-cost medication that lots of people need and is virtually always effective, right? How, dollar for dollar, what, you know, if, what are you doing? Where are you putting your dollars? So there will be hard questions about that in a single-payer system. Right. But of course. And I always, you know, we said this from the, like, maybe in the very first show, I don't know how many shows it was into it, but like, I've always thought that the, the, the quality of society is found in the issues that it debates. Like, what is it debating? What does it find debatable? That's where the character of a society is to be found, right? I think there's And we're debating stupid stuff. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's, that's where we are right now. I, you know, I thought we were going to. I did have some topics I wanted to talk oh, about. Oh, you did? I did, but like, I guess we're going to get back to it. Like, I, I, I think it's worth revisiting court packing because that's been, people have been debating this a lot lately. Yeah, yeah. And I have some views about this. Okay, well, let's talk about those. Well, let's views. not talk about those right now. It's, Why not? We're already an hour and a half into this thing. We're already an hour and a half. The, the other thing is, like, there's been a resurgence of, especially after, um, uh, after this term, uh, a, a renewed appreciation of the First Amendment as the new Lochner. Yeah, which I wrote about years ago. I have that blog did. post. I should have turned that into an essay or there something. There are a bunch of, uh, you know, a lot of people. Yours was very good. Um, I hope you put it in show notes. Um, the, and other people have written about that issue too. It is. It's very obviously becoming a huge problem. This is like five um, or six years ago. I don't remember what precipitated me to write that post at that time. But, but you it, know, it is becoming the universal solvent of of all uh, you know social legislation. 
Yeah, um, it's like you know the First Amendment is uh, it, it, it's a what what if you're looking to promote um, the ability for an individual to use non-governmental forms of power against other people freely, right? Uh, then what you are looking for is a lever which allows for what I've called like freedom reasoning, like yes, you, right and. And that can be freedom of contract, it can be due process, it can be other things, and increasingly it is the First Amendment, right? My ability to right. speak is hampered, and my ability to speak is equivalent to my ability to marshal resources to engage in the amount of speech I want to engage in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? right. And so what you're looking for is some little keyhole in the Constitution through which to jam a bunch of freedom reasoning. Free, yeah, we're freedom of association. Right, same thing. I mean, it's, it's all yeah. talk about, like, the, the freedom of action of the individual to, uh, to not just a freedom in general, but freedom to marshal resources that are outside of the public system, usually involving money, right? right? Usually it's money, but it can also be status or position. Right. As a way to negate a public call on those resources. Right. And so I, that post from years ago was about the, I think I called it the failures of freedom. And so it was really about freedom as an ideal, as a, as this kind of gateway to um, that, that, those kinds of uh, what I think are bad arguments, right? Um, be, it, it, speaking of neutrality, right? Because they, they sound in kind of like neutrality. Yeah. I think it's wrong. Who doesn't but, like freedom? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> See, so, <laughs> so, so, so just being taken out of context, right? Right. Um, so do do a little. This is the, the way back when. Remember we talked about um, the what? This is uh, maybe it's from my class too that you and I did some conversations about, right? This is like what is the freedom to drive to Atlanta from here? Like, oh, I don't remember talking about this. Yeah, this oh. is like the the freedom to drive, like the, all these stupid governmental road signs, which hamper my like. Who's who are you to tell me when I have to stop and start? Right? Mm. Who are you to f- tell me how? Like, there are lots of freedom restrictions which make possible the actual freedom to drive from here to Atlanta, and so like yeah, freedom res- freedom isn't doing the work, right? It's it, in, in assigning these like individual duties and obligations where we are engaged in a joint social project of preserving certain social activities that we think are important, right? And we think the ability actually to drive one's car, although, you know, whatever you think about cars, but the ability to get from point A to point B, right, is is more important than your ability to manipulate a motor vehicle in any particular way you want to at any particular point in time. Yeah, and you can describe that as a, a gross imposition on your freedom to drive, but another way to describe it would be, uh, you know, a system of mutual reciprocal respect of, our all of our having the ability to meet certain objectives or reach certain goals. Yeah, it's just the word freedom isn't helpful in that. So this is like a legal, yeah, a neo legal realist point. Um, that I, I don't know. We don't need to talk about. So you don't want to do anything on court packing. What is the dumbest thing you've heard someone say or write about court packing? Oh, I don't. In wanna, the last week, I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't. What is the smartest, sharpest? most insightful thing you've heard a person say or write about court packing in the last week? Well, let's just tee it up this way because we'll come back to it. But Should I think tell the, people what we I mean by court packing? So, so this is the idea that um, uh, after the, the Gorsuch appointment um, and more importantly, the failure to seat Garland, uh, the failure even to consider Garland, um, that, that something has to be done, right, to, um, uh, to, to restore something or to restore normal order or that something illegitimate has happened to which there needs to be a response. And in the ongoing game between Democrats and Republicans, there has to be some consequence for the actions of Mitch McConnell. I I think a question I would, a question that has occurred to me, 
that at some prior period of my life I would have thought of as, as quite insane. Um, and so it might be insane, but um, is I, I think the general way you've just teed that up, you know, there are mm-hmm. some, some, there needs to be some consequence. Yeah. Uh, and court packing is a, one item on a list. Now, of, this is actually not what I think, but go ahead. I'll, uh, I'll get back to it. Yeah. The topic, court packing, yeah. is a topic you could put on the list under the heading, there need to be some consequences for, is that right. okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is a, t- um, a tit for tat kind of game. Right. And so I think another... It can't be all tat. I didn't want to say the other. <laughs> I think another thing... I would like to put on a list of things to talk through. Acknowledging that the end of every one of the conversations about every one of the things is this is a completely inappropriate thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, is impeachment of uh, of the justice in question, uh, or of one or more, uh, but certainly of the one. Um, I, if a if a justice is seated through what is a hopelessly corrupt, what is later exposed to be a hopelessly corrupt situation. If it should turn out that, actually it's not if, given the fact that uh, the current Senate Majority Leader was holding open the Garland seat at the very same time that the Majority Leader was telling the then current President that if he were to alert the American people to Russians meddling in the 2016 election, which had not yet occurred, that the Majority Leader would denounce it as partisan politics. Meddling that the majority leader was himself being informed of at that very moment. Um, that seems to me so profoundly troubling and corrupt um, that I think it could be worth talking about impeaching the justice who was seated as a consequence of it. I think there are many obvious things to say to what you just said, some of which are, you know, that um, the Constitution has standards for impeachment. and Of course it does. And they, ha- and they appear to be personal to the person you're impeaching. They do. That is a very significant counter-argument. It, yeah. Um, in fact, but, but it, it I, might I, be the most significant I knew that counter-argument. you knew that, and I'm not, I'm not sure we're going to take the whole time to go over it now, because I think we should have a whole episode about this. But, um, okay. uh, and, but I, and I also don't disagree that Mitch McConnell has been a, an incredibly malevolent force in our current crisis. And, right. uh, but, but by but the way, I, the, the, the rejoinder that, to the uh, observation about the problem being personal to the justice right. is it does that – that, of course, doesn't answer the question about things you might be willing to attribute to that person, even yeah, though they right. are the acts yeah. of another, yeah. and, you know, uh, if they're things through which that person gained. Yeah. yeah uh, so it's very complicated, actually, yeah. I think, and it, therefore we're talking about. But we, we, were you going to say anything about court packing other than that that is a thing? No, I, I, I just think— That people have mentioned? So I, so I was very troubled by McConnell's behavior, as everyone was, because it, you know, it— it was just so obvious. It was just stupid and so obvious, but it's it is what it is. It motivated people to go to the poll. Like it, it, everything is so obvious. So right. whatever, right? I mean, uh, and, and it does make you know. I I get I have an emotional reaction to it, right? I mean, and and I I do want to hit back. It does make me want to hit back. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, um, as if I think I've said before, um, there is there's no law of the universe that said Scalia had to die in February instead of in December or January of the next year, right? And sure. So I think to me what the whole process reveals is that um, especially with justices living longer, occupying their seats until they die, um, and and maybe this is like a post-legal realism point, but but the norms of uh, of confirmation and 
the increasing, I, I, I don't want to say, say this in too unqualified a way, but there's any, you know, if you think there's an increasing polarization in the judiciary, whatever role the Federalist Society and maybe ACS play in that, but like, um, uh, this is no way to run a republic, right? I mean, to, <laughs> for just when randomly the seat pops open due to death or because of game theoretic retirements, like I want to retire so that my appointment can be filled by this other, you know, so that uh, over time it's like, there are only nine of them, which isn't a large enough number. Right. So that you think that what the composition of the of the court reflects, what I think you know, would be a central justification for its um, method of appointment and its number. Right. That it reflects the smeared out preferences of the people over time about their approach to you know principles and especially constitutional principles. Preferences refracted through a series of mechanisms that. Right aggregate people's preferences in different ways and you know and, and which encourage a different kind of talk and different different modes of justification but but that there that, that the selections are such that the composition of the court in any one moment of time is going to be a kind of a um a, like i said a, sme- a reflection of a smeared out in the united states of america over a number of years right yeah, 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 yeah. like if that's what you think that you're doing like we're not doing that right i mean you don't the the number is not big enough um, the justices are different enough, um, and the um, kind of the vicissitudes of, of retirement are random enough that it it seems to me broken. Right? It seems to me broken, and so I actually do think a court packing threat is a good one, um, but I don't think it's a good, great way to proceed at all. I, you know, I don't. I, you know, I don't think this kind of I'll hit now, you hit back. You hit, and it's not just because I worry about an escalation, although I do worry about an escalation. I just don't think it's stable. I think that the court packing threat is a way of saying we're serious about this. This will not, you know, this will not go unremarked. It will not go. Um, uh, you will not be able to lock in an advantage over this. We need a new system. The Constitution is imperfect in many ways. And even if this worked at one point in the Republic, it does not work now, right? This is going to continue to be a problem. Um, And I don't think that in the long term, conservatives benefit from the system any more than liberals do because the future is somewhat unknowable, right? Maybe maybe very unknowable. So I definitely prefer a constitutional amendment. Um, I think, you know, my current stance is that there should be 18 justices chosen each year, uh, one each year, 18 year terms. Okay. Um, they would sit on panels and they would have an in-bank procedure. Oh, we talked about some of this, I think with, with, um, Ian and Dan Mm -hmm. a long time ago, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think that would solve a lot of problems, but, you know, increasing the number of justices make each, makes each pick a little bit less consequential. Mm -hmm. Um, although there still could be very consequential picks, you would have an issue where, you know, and I would make it so that every, you know, every year that there's an appointment, um, the Senate, the, um, maybe, maybe even the house and the Senate. Um, can reject the appointment, but only through a supermajority vote. Mm, other than right. that, the so person gets seated. It. Yeah, it flips it. You have to vote not to seat them. and right. um, So there's not less blocking. And I would even have a rule for what would happen if uh, if they continued to block, right? The president maybe at some point after the first one is rejected have to submit three names. The Senate would, uh, uh, the House and Senate, if they reject all three of those, maybe you go to the Supreme Court for a ruling itself over whether... Uh, over whether anyone on the list is unqualified, professionally mm. unqualified. Mm. And if the answer to that is no, um, then the House and Senate only get their pick of the four nominees at that point or something like this. So in other words, trying to um, 
what you don't want is a president to be able to push through absolute crazies, right? Right. Um, yeah, because there is a danger in the, uh, you have to vote the person no. Right. Like you have to b- successfully block. Right. Um, a, a, a president who was careless or worse, um, if one could imagine such a thing, uh, might choose someone who is quite troubling, actually, right. as, as a, one of those justices. So, so you'd have mechan- mechanisms like that to, to deal with the issue, what, what happens if, if uh, there's stasis. So you should write kind. this out. I think I'm a big fan of, um, in, in much the way that I'm a big fan of working things out by having conversations with people so they yeah. can figure out what I think. Um, I think it's great to write things out, especially uh, proposals of this nature, as you might have noticed. I Well, I mean, so proposals for constitutional amendments in some way are like a dime a dozen. Like that's the easiest solution. It's like, oh, let's just change everything. And, and people react against that, right? That's not what I was referring to. No, I, I know was, you weren't. I know you I weren't. I was referring to the idea that if you – that that you you know the 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 process of actually writing out on paper like laying out a set of provisions that would bring about the mm-hmm. thing that you are trying to uh that you think would be the the uh, best yeah. a, a, the best overall set of uh results for the trade-offs involved um is a is a fun and interesting thing and you could even share it with people like that'd be cool too yeah well i'm i'm venturing it here i think we've i think i've said this before in the show so i don't think this is brand new Although maybe some some of the details are, um, but it, it's you know constitutional amendments is always they're always like pie in the sky in a way, right? Because basically we if, if anything is really consequential, we have to fight a war to get a good constitutional amendment, right? <laughs> our Which constitution is, is very hard to amend, um, but I do think it's totally broken, and I think the the judicial process, yes, and. I, I think the I think there are huge parts of our government that are well, deeply that's, broken. That's right. <laughs> but I think court packing is the only response which can motivate a compromise on this scale, mm. right? Be, because I I just you know I, Mitch McConnell cannot get away with this. It's just it's total constitutional bad faith, right? Um, and then but if you talk to conservatives, they'll say, well, but Harry Reid did this, and there was this before that, and this before that, and it's a series of hits which goes all the way. I'm sure back to. Um, to to some bar fight in Germany somewhere, uh, right? I mean, it's like you can you can always go back, right? And this is the nature of kind of tribal fighting, right? right. We see this all over the world where people feel hits to themselves more than they feel hits to the basic psychology, more than they feel the hits that are landed on others. Right. So you can always do this, and that's fine. I don't care. Like, I, maybe they're right. Maybe, maybe those hits did feel just as bad as the yeah, as the bad faith that Mitch McConnell showed. It doesn't matter. But it's broken. We need a new system. And to me, court packing is the only threat that has a legitimate prospect of doing that. And other people say, you know, are worried, you know, the Constitution is perfect. Don't take it with the Constitution. It stood the test of time. There's like a, there's a little bit of Burking conservatism. There's a little bit of other kinds of, there are other kinds of arguments, which. Yeah, but, uh, I, but it has been amended. So uh, to use that as an argument against amendments full stop, it seems somewhat misguided. I mean, the, it can't be perfect, uh, unamended. It's been amended 27 times. Right. So that seems odd to me that someone would say, well, this is yeah. a big structural change though on, on the order. This would be a structural change on the order of the selection of senators. Yes. Um, uh, or, or in remaking the franchise. That, which yes. were both, and the franchise is actually multiple amendments that relate to that. Yeah. Um, um, I agree. Um, by the way, I think that's a thing that needs to be, uh, uh, 
fix too. Um, but but I agree with the, the selection of sound. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, these are the we things are bad. I mean, these things are the these structures are not serving us well anymore, as well as they may have served us. And people can have debates all day long about that. Uh, at for any given point in time, how well we're being served by that, they're not working now. So the arguments that I don't like are the ones that say actually, um, uh, what McConnell did was totally precedented, and we can muddle along like this. I think that's false. Um, yes. I see. And I don't, feel, I agree with you. And, it is and false. I, you know, I have a hard time accepting it. The others are that like, what's most important now is a return to norms. And so Democrats shouldn't filibuster the new, uh, appointee shouldn't like shut down the Senate over it. Shouldn't court pack that. These are all ways of like throwing the constitution further off the rails, our constitutional democracy further off the rails. And instead we should agree to compromise if the Republicans will work, turn to blue slip, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, I just think none of that works. I think it's all broken. Well, the only reason that I believe none of it works is because it never has. Um, it, you can the, the number of instances you can enumerate where this was the thing the, the center left and left were going to do to bring about better behavior on the part of the right and center right. Mm-hmm. It's, it is literally Lucy and Charlie in the football. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't work. And, and even if the argument is that it feels that way to the other side. Hey, we feel that too. That to me is just an argument for doing something different. Right. That, that's an argument that it's not I working mean, for anybody. I mean, if law is <laughs> supposed to be a substitute for war and fighting, right, then you want to craft your law in a way that makes people feel like they don't want to fight. They, like the whole purpose is to appeal to people's sense that I can accept that. Yeah, you're offering them something better. It really is a better alternative. Right. I mean, a, um, a, a lawsuit, like a private lawsuit. It's like, I feel like, okay, I'll pay you the money. I feel like I was hurt. I'm pissed about it, but... I feel like I was hurt. Yeah. And, and so that's the, the and, non... And win, win some, lose some is a, uh, I think is a, is a general description of a set of outcomes that most people can actually get behind. Heads I win, tails you lose is not one that people can get behind. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I, I mean, I think that's the, the... And this is the broader point about our, and you mentioned the franchise earlier, that, you know, it's... It's fine if the system is such that a minority of the country can elect the legislature and the president every once in a while, right? But but it can't continue this way. It can't – like I just don't see a future. For example, this is another part of the constitution thing is a real problem. I don't, I don't feel there's a great future in – giving California and Wyoming the same number of senators yeah, right. when, when, they, when they have very different political beliefs. Right. Like eventually, like California is not going to accept this. And actuarially, I mean, this is just getting worse and worse, right? Yeah. The, the, um, the, the population projection where, you know, we're going to hit this point where 30% of the population is controlling 70 seats and 70% of it is controlling 30 seats. And that is just a, a, a particularly vivid illustration of the fact that it's completely untenable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot that needs to be fixed. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, and so we can come back. To, I, I feel like, you know, with a guest, we can, or maybe with several guests, I thought maybe we, maybe we could do another call-out show where we talked to several different guests Ooh. about about court blocking and constitutional amendment and... I mean, I would love to explore this. With, with so hold people. on. So, court, so the way you describe the court packing thing is you've got it's a court packing plan, but but part two of the document is you know here is the constitutional amendment which if approved would put in abeyance this court packing plan. Right. 
and there'd be transition rules. I mean, I think you would, uh, you know, and I have some of those in mind because, you know, when do you forcibly retire the justices who are there now, you know, after 18 years and that would lead to certain imbalances because of when people are appointed. So you'd have to carefully mm. think through, like that would have to be a, a, a serious compromise in itself. Right. Um, which it, always these vestigial parts of the constitution about, you know, how we deal with transitions. Sure, like, sure. You'd like for them to like repeal themselves. Um, this is like, uh, <laughs> like in computers having like an object deallocate itself after it's finished. Like mm. you'd like for the, you'd like to be in the constitution to have this transition rule and then have the dis- transition rule disappear as soon as it's done to maintain the, the leanness of the document. Um, uh, so, so we that would be a, a serious source of, you know, disagreement, but I, I feel like, you know, so yes, I mean the, the court packing would be, yeah, we're going to appoint like 12 new justices and, the Republicans may say, well, if you're going to plan to do that, we're going to appoint 20 now. Fine. You know, then we'll, you know, we'll appoint 50 when we get in power. Like that's obviously that's an arms race, which can't continue. Right. I mean, once right, one and, side and, commits to doing it. And those are just numbers, right? The point is that it's, it's in the service of this alternative plan. Right. Be, for people who care about the Supreme Court. I do. I mean, I, I think yeah. there's value to having I do the phrase you use is an apex court, right? Yeah. I think, there's some value in it. I've, I also thought about like, do we really need a Supreme Court? Like we could <laughs> yes, just do courts of appeals. We do. We, we could have, you know, it's possible to consider a system which doesn't have a Supreme Court where um, in say April and May each year, there is a council of in banks involving all the circuits that resolve circuit splits. Um, yeah. You're get, you've got to have, you've got to have a place for state Supreme Court judgments on questions of federal law. And those could be the ah, circuits. So you're going to send those to that. Yeah, so I now mean, there is a Supreme Court again. It's yeah, just and called you, the And you write the of courts index. of appeals and the district courts into the constitution. They're not there now. Oh, you, okay. know, you write them in. Okay. Uh, and, 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 and I certainly, I would change this anyway. I think I wrote a blog post about this one uh, a long time ago about how, um, you know, appellate court judgments, uh, United States courts of appeals judgments are not binding on state courts, right? Indeed. I would make them binding. Mm. I, don't, I just think there's not a great reason not to do that. Um, and, and so anyway, you can imagine a world without a Supreme Court that would, I think, function fine. Sure. Uh, or at least it might. Arguably it might. I mean, you want to do a lot of thinking about it. But you could also imagine different Supreme Courts. But if you think, as I do, that there's some value in the Supreme Court as an institution, right? Mm-hmm. And therefore it can't be like 50 people. Like there's some value in its smallness. Yes. But there's also a danger in its smallness. Mm-hmm. So a, a, a muscular Supreme Court that is responsive to society and yet talks in this different way, this different register, I think is a really important feature of of a of the best version of our constitutional democracy i do too and it just it, we, we we have work to do we've gotten very far away from that to, yeah. to get there the only other thing i want to talk about today and we're not going to do it so let's we'll put a pen in this as they say put this one in the parking lot mm. as they say i don't know what they say I'm trying to think of biz speak corpo speak biz dev uh i want to talk about this um um you know, by, by the time people hear this, there will be a new nominee for the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And one of the nominees um, has attracted attention for the content of her religious beliefs. And I don't want to go into it now because, you know, we're at the end of the show. Um, I, I think this is really interesting to talk about because, of course, there, is, there should not be a religious test for office in the United States. Could and, you say more about what you mean when you say there shouldn't be a, a religious test for office? Well, the Constitution says there should not be, and so uh, I understand. it should not what, be that it should not. And be what the, do you think it means it, to well, say is, that there shouldn't this is be the a whole religious thing. test? This is, I know this is the whole thing. This is why I don't want to. Uh, we, we're not going to do this all now, are we? But like, so I, I know you're you're thinking. I teased it. I got to finish it, right? I asked you very one very specific thing. You but you you you, it's you, the whole thing, you said you said of course 
there shouldn't be a religious test like that was some simple throwaway line that you could. And if it's a simple throwaway line, surely it should be easy for you to say what what it what the, what the referent of that is. What's the prohibition there? What is being prohibited? Huh. Goes back to the earlier conversation because any legal rule is not itself. You know, there's there's all kind of, you know there's all kinds of other stuff that goes with it. Okay, right? so, so so if we were so, to have a conversation right, about so, this so, topic, so, one of the right. things we would talk about in that conversation is what it means to say there shall be no so, religious so, test. So if if a if anyone in 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 or um, uh, in the federal government, but, it, but including if the Senate refused to confirm an appointee because he or she was Muslim or Christian or any particular religion, I think there would be a good argument that that violates the prohibition on there being religious tests for office. Ah, okay. Right. It's funny because one way to think about what it means for there to be that prohibition is who is it prohibited? Who is it prohibiting from doing something? Uh, and you just, that's not the one I would have reached for first. And so it's fun that you put it that what, way. What is it's, the one you would have reached for first? Um, if there were to be a, a statute that, that said, you know, uh, to, to, uh, as a condition preceding to being nominated, you have to be willing to take this oath. And yeah. the oath says, I have this following specific religious belief. That's a religious test, literally. Well, I, I, I do think it's possible. And, 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 and it may be that there are some English antecedents that are being yeah. referred to there about people having to be a particular religious oh, faith sure to hold yeah. particular offices yeah. um, up to and including the monarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, But we also have an equal protection clause. We have a free exercise clause. Yeah, we have, yeah, we have yeah. lots of provisions in the constitution which, right. which, uh, urge, which urge us as a governing people to treat um, followers when, of various religions equally. And when senators are considering a nominee... Um, they're they're as bound by their oath to the Constitution as as, as anyone else is who's acting of, yeah, in the, the right. So yeah, and the president in, in appointments. I right. mean, going back to last week's yeah, conversation. Um, so so this is and, so there's going to be a nominee, and like the masterpiece cake um, case, right? It gets difficult when the reason you might reject somebody is because of what they believe about our society. So if someone's if 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 a nom- if a court nominee uh, were, were, well, were nominated, came before the Senate and says, um, you know, I'm, you know, I believe in our constitution. I, I believe in applying the law faithfully, but I just can't get behind treating people of uh, different races equally. I just think the races should be separate. That's my personal, that's my personal belief. Like, of course you're going to vote that person down, right? I mean, their, their views are inconsistent with, I think some of the foundational substance of our Republic. And when I say foundational, I am perfectly you know, I'm totally cognizant of the fact that that it is foundational only after the Civil War. But like that is right. who we are, I, I think. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And moreover, I think it would be it, it makes that situation no more complicated if when you ask that nominee, why do you believe that? They say, um, because my religious faith tradition tells me that. Well, this is where I was going to go. I mean, this is the whole point of raising this example, right? Is it? Because, um, because of course, that could be their answer. If, if the if you if you if you don't want somebody in office, and you're a senator and you have the power to withhold consent, you're a president, and you have the power not to nominate, right? I mean, wh- whatever it is, and, and the a reason that you want to exercise that power is because of the content of their views. I think that is a perfectly you know that that's I think you can talk about qualifications all you want, but there's absolutely nothing to indicate that people weren't supposed to consider substance or ideas in considering people for office, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, and it's complicated because um, one source of content, of, of idea, ideological content, is one's religious faith. Yes. I believe this because that, right? And right. The, the that might be um, some, some uh, uh, religious orthodoxy that I feel bound to accept. Uh-huh. Um, so rejecting them because in, in of, both directions, you could say you could have a nominee who says, you know, I'm one reason why it's so gratifying to be a court of appeals judge now and such an honor to be nominated to serve on the Supreme Court is because I have such a profound belief in the full and equal dignity of all persons under and before the law. Right. Uh, and I think that our Constitution commits us to that valuable and fundamental precept. Uh, so. <laughs> to use uh, less formal language, how awesome is it for me <laughs> that I would get to go to work every day right. and have that be part of my job description, Yeah, right? Making that, br- making that more perfect union better and better all the time along that precept, right? And you could say, oh, why do you think that? Well, my religious, be- my religious faith tells me that I'm that's- part of the more perfect union church, right? <laughs> Whatever and, and it is, the, yeah. And the full e- and equal dignity of persons under and before the law is like, that's so basic to our faith. Mm-hmm. Which it is to, to some faiths. Right. Right. All the things we're saying are things that are true of, <laughs> of existing or previously existing faiths. So um, does that mean suddenly I can't say, oh, that makes you really well suited to this job? Because you said a thing that seems to comport fully with the, princip- the substance of the, our foundational right. document. Um, and the reason you think that is because of religious faith. I'm suddenly not supposed to think it's awesome anymore. Of course not. So the, it works in both directions. The whole problem, I think, I think the central problem is that we, we have a necessity to have, and we in fact do have tests for various things, which are sensitive to, um, idea content, but the contents of someone's beliefs, right. And, uh, and their actions, which were consistent with those beliefs, right. We have, we have, um, tests for those things. Um, including like simple stuff like building and zoning, right? I mean, if I want to build a new building, I'm doing it because I'm religious. Like suddenly I'm subject to the religious land use and institutionalized persons act. And if I, you know, for other reasons, I'm not. So, but, but uh, we have lots of tests in society, which are sensitive to people's ideas. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have a commitment to religious equality, which I think is, you know, partly because of history, like so many things, right? There's a history of treating people as religious groups, like, a person is, you know, uh, um, might get treatment X rather than treatment Y because they are a member of religious group A rather than religious group B, right? Right. And so, often disfavoring treatment. Right. This is a problem because increasingly people's idea content does not come from a particular religious tradition. It comes from somewhere else. And what do we do about that? And and what what is a religion really, right? Uh, you know, it's... I, I, I don't see that this is another one I'm, 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 I'm kind of stumped by mm. um, because if, if we are to give, for example, you have a nominee who says, you know, I believe in the separation of the races because it's consistent with, you know, this particular religious belief I have, right? A perfectly good argument is that I'm, um, you know, uh, the reason I'm going to vote against you is, is not because you are a member of that faith, but because of a particular idea you have. And I would treat anybody who had that idea equally, equally, and I would reject them, regardless of the faith tradition. 
And that looks like religious equality. Of course, it looks like equality, but in some ways it doesn't, right? Because, um, you know, society has adopted a, or at least you are instantiating through your actions, a social norm, right? right? Which rejects a particular idea of a particular faith tradition. Right. That is inevitable, right? It's, you know, you cannot, you, you cannot have a society which gives equal weight to every view of every faith tradition. Right. At least if you are talking about a bodily politic organized around religious freedom of conscience. At least in a society with a diversity of faith traditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I mean, right. you know. But those it, two it, things together. In a society I mean, where there you, are if, one or two or three, then it's possible, right? But, if, if you're talking about a theocratic government for a homogeneous population, um, then I think they would have no... <laughs> <laughs> they would have no trouble um, sort of quite thoroughly vindicating the w- the faith tradition of that th- theocracy and, and giving short shrift to everything else and no one much minding if it's a homogeneous population, all of whom largely subscribe to that faith. Yeah. So yeah. like in that situation, we don't, they, that group will not have the problem you just described, right? Of there's a plurality of religious faiths, including uh, some people who have no religious uh, faith tradition at all that's active in their life. Um, There are a plurality of reasons for doing things. Uh, Put those things together in a under a document that says, you know, can't establish a church. People are free to exercise their faith. Can't be a religious or office. But history matters, right? You know, all this stuff's going to get hinky. History matters, and there is an ugly history of people identifying someone of a minority faith or a faith which is different from theirs and having an express concern that they might be more loyal to that faith than they are to the democracy. Or to yeah, and I guess that, is, that does suggest a, a sort of several, maybe, uh, follow-up questions to the person's statement about that you attributed to this hypothetical nominee like how did you put it like there you 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 committed to the constitution and but you do think the races should be separated right um i mean and which of those ideas has priority yeah like okay you you say you think that um what what do you think that that is a do you think that's a social policy that the constitution permits um if you don't think the constitution permits it but you've just stated that it is the one that you think is 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 better. Um, how do you see that playing out in your daily work life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a lot of follow-up questions you would have about that state of affairs, it seems to me. Yeah. Does this lock you into a particular way of deciding? Which will you put prior? And so, for example, you know, we we don't have a policy that Catholics can't serve on death penalty juries. True, but if you take the view right that you it's sinful to uh, put anyone to death, and therefore you won't do it, then you won't be put on a death penalty jury. In, in large part because there's, and I believe the case is Witherspoon. I, I don't remember the name. Um, but, where yeah. you you death qualify, yeah, yeah. prospective jurors, um, and if a, if a prospective juror says that they would be unwilling to vote to impose the death penalty under any circumstance. And it really doesn't matter why they say that. Right. Right. Um, it could be a religious faith or it could simply be a matter of their personal conscience without any connection to a particular religious faith. Um, 
yeah, that person's not going to be seated on that and, jury. And, and, and the Supreme Court right. has said that's fine. To and do that's, that tr- with that's true. Even if they're, even if you, even if you're a tenet of your religious faith is that you have a personal obligation um, to ensure uh, uh, that someone not be put to death. In other words, that you use whatever civil power you have to avoid the result. So you would still be, you know, we wouldn't say, well, you can't test, you know, we, we, there can be no religious test for jury service. We would say we, we're treating everyone who has that particular belief the same and it's not a count on your religion. So it's of that kind of reasoning that I talked about a little bit earlier, exactly. right? It's like this is not uh, religious discrimination because it applies equally no matter, no matter the source for the – no matter the authority for the belief. Yes. Right? Which is one way of looking at religious equality. Um, and, you know, this is like the employment division against Smith way of looking at it, I guess, right? Where it doesn't, doesn't matter why you uh, – no so matter why you're using peyote, people aren't allowed to use peyote. Right, and and if we thought that if we thought that the restriction here were imposed because of the reason, then it would be unconstitutional. Right, right. Different, That's different the, ballgame. What's the name of the case? Baba Lukaya. Um, Church of. I always get the name mixed up. Something, something like that. Against Hialeah. Yeah, Hialeah. Is the yeah. other party? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Church of Babalu. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I something against Hialeah. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm not even going to try because, you know, it's like... Church just... of Lakumi Babalu I. Okay. I swear. Okay. Church of Lakumi Babalu I mm-hmm. against Hialeah. It's just, I had to just massage it. Yeah. It then I got there. I had yeah, to work it, it out. I had to work I... it out. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't think it's funny that I don't know how to pronounce it. I mean, it's like, yeah, I just don't know how to pronounce it. Right. I just don't, I can't recall it very easily. But But anyway, I think that there's... You know, this uncomfortable position that we're in because we see religion as partly an identity and a block against which invidious discrimination can occur, but also partly as one of many possible sources of authority for the many beliefs, diverse beliefs that people have in society. Yeah. That this is – it's it's kind of the history of tribal oppression of some religions versus the – uh, the kind of authority of society to take substantive positions, right? right. And, and these are in conflict, especially when the substantive position that we're taking is trying to grant the kind of the freedom to return to that term, the freedom of action or the freedom of belief for other individuals, right? And to, to kind of mediate between these intersocial disputes. That's the masterpiece. Yeah, there's a, decision. yeah, this is very much like the, the, the sort of, the masterpiece cake shop majority and then justice kagan's concurrence it is i don't know that it's i don't know that there's co- use the word conflict there are things conflicts i don't it, there might be uh, but there's a whether they're in conflict or not there's a great deal of stuff here to be synthesized together um and made to effectively operate together yeah to the to the extent we can do that well so that's another preview <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Uh, yeah. I only say preview because I wanted to, you know, I thought maybe we could talk about it. I wanted to tee them up, but I've done, you know, no preparation for really digging into these things. And, right. and, um, and so maybe this is, for this freewheeling show, I think what we're going to do is we're going to hit stop and we're going to record a little pre-roll. Oh, okay. A little warning about what's going to follow. Okay, cool. If the listeners have gotten, have gotten to this point, I want them to have been well-informed in advance okay. that this conversation is going to be all over the place. Okay. And also, it's like we're not going to be here next week, right? Right. And so this is like a two-parter. Listen to one this week. Listen to the second half next week. If you're already here, like the day after this dropped, like it's too late for you to do that. Okay. Right. But this is a, it's a two-hour show, Joe. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? No, it's over two hours. 
Seriously? Yeah, and 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 there are going to be some people who are saying there is absolutely nothing that would justify that length. That okay, duration. we got to do a pre roll. Are we doing a pre roll? Yes, right we're going to do a pre roll. So, do you want to say, look, I anyone who's listening to this point is a hardcore argonaut. Are we now doing pre-roll? No, no. This is the end of the show. Oh, okay. We're now doing the end of the show. We're now saying goodbye to the hardcore Argonauts who've gotten all the way to the end okay. of the show. And I hope that, you know, I hope you've got some thoughts. Maybe you got mad at us. I hope so. I hope you get like, I know you're missing this. You're missing that. Like right in. Oral yes. argument uh, well, podcast. <laughs> Oral argument podcast at gmail.com. Oral argument on Twitter. And there are a few in there that we didn't get to. Like we didn't, you know, we thought we had all the time in the world. We could go through the whole mailbag, but we didn't unzip all of it. True. Um, so there are some in there, um, some some good emails in there that we didn't get to, which we will get to sometime this summer, right? It's summer's a time for clearing out backlogs. Mm, I guess. Okay. Uh, so thank you. Any anything else, Joe? No. Okay. Stay cool. Um. Stay sane. Yeah. Do good. <laughs>